Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Uh, back to comics on today's episode. First, a uh, quick note. I'm sorry. I'm uh, adre- adjusting my archive and uh, making things accessible at another platform. And in doing so, there was a little technical glitch and a bunch of my episodes repeated. So you might have seen in your podcast feed, hey, Word Balloon has 300 new episodes. No. Uh, they're, they're copies of uh, existing episodes. My apologies for that. Uh, the techies are working on it and trying to fix the problem. But uh, if it caused any overload in your cachet, my apologies. But uh, things should, will be rectified moving forward. Today's episode, really fun conversation with my dear friend Vanita Rogers of uh, Newsarama. Uh, they, of course, have been uh, around for a long time. And uh, back in pre- the pre-2010 years, I spent a couple of years uh, putting Word Balloon there. I always like to say I don't work for Newsarama. I work with Newsarama because I kind of was like this like independent guy that got to put my podcast there. But uh, I really enjoyed the time that I did that, in particular working with uh, two people. Mike Dorn was always great, and he's still there and uh, a really fair guy. But he was always back at home, so I really had a chance to work face-to-face with him and deal with him on a day-to-day basis. The people I dealt with mostly were Matt Brady and Vanita Rogers. And Matt, because Matt was, uh, you know, kind of the daily editor and we would go over things. And then also Vanita, I would end up seeing at conventions. And Matt would also be at shows. And a lot of times, Matt was the point person there at the convention. We'd get our assignments from him in terms of, uh, you know, bird dogging for interviews on the floor, whether just for my Word Balloon podcast or also to help uh, with the video that was being shot at shows, especially New York Comic Con in particular. But there was a really long period where um, Matt, Vanita, and I were all together, or Vanita and I were also in the field because we're both from the Midwest, um, and uh, we would see each other at a lot of the Midwest shows. And it just became this nice little rhythm, and it was great to kind of, as we say at the end of the conversation, you know, we kind of kept each other sane, all three of us. And, uh, you know, Vanita's just become a really great colleague and I've always respected her work. Um, I think she does a tremendous job covering the industry. The last uh, uh, few years, she's been looking directly at the direct market and talking to shop owners about what's working, what isn't. And it was a turbulent year uh, from about a year ago, the end of 2016. And the beginning of uh, 2017, she did a lot of Q&As with retailers. And uh, as we close in on the uh, final quarter... Uh, it's interesting to kind of look back and see, you know, what's been going on this year with uh, the big two. But as Vanita points out, a lot of what, you know, my frustrations are from a business standpoint with uh, a DC or a Marvel, you know, other other companies do it. They might do it on a smaller scale. So, and I have to point out, by the way, um, that uh, a lot of this was recorded, well, the entire conversation was recorded before uh, Marvel Legacy really kicked in. And also, uh, you know, as we get closer to uh, the Watchmen DC Universe event, the Doomsday Clock. Uh, and I have to say, from a creative standpoint, I do like a lot of what the Big Two has been serving up lately. I really like Marvel Legacy. I thought Jason Aaron did a great job as far as the introduction issue. My conversations with uh, people like Chip Zdarsky and Greg Pak uh, and others, um, both uh, on Word Balloon and also just at conventions, I kind of like what I'm hearing in terms of a lot of the directions for what the Marvel books are doing. And, yeah, I'm, I can't deny I'm kind of really intrigued by the Doomsday Clock at DC. 
and everything leading up to it and what's been going on with Rebirth. And they seem to be entering a, a second stage of their uh, reboot of the DC Universe. So, And also, uh, we get into not only what's happening in the comics, but also uh, I wanted to know what she thought of uh, the latest movie input output, I should say, the more uh, recent TV output, and what she's watching and what she thinks. And then also, because you can't deny it, it's there, these culture wars that are, you know, all over society, they've invaded the geek culture as well. And I kind of wanted to know what uh, Vanita's thoughts were on some of these issues as well. And she's kind of reluctant to do it because I think she likes to just go out and do her reporting and, and say, this is what I've learned, and not get her own opinions involved. But I think, uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad she was willing to share her views because, again, I think she's an observer of the market, and the market is bigger than just what we're getting in the comics. So it was a pleasure to pick the brain of Vanita Rogers and have this nice lengthy uh, conversation that I'm sure we're all talking about in the stores and among friends and maybe when you're gaming, who the hell knows. But uh, really happy to welcome Vanita Rogers on today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. We're closing in on the end of uh, October, and I've got uh, several new patrons uh, via Patreon that uh, make up the League of Word Balloon listeners. And thank you very much, because it really does help me out to get to conventions, to continue to upgrade equipment, and uh, keep things running here on the podcast. Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you want to help the cause, you can go to wordballoon.com, click on the Patreon ad, or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. And, uh, you know, like I always say, is Word Balloon, uh, do you think it's worth uh, the price of a comic book? I hope I bring you as much entertainment as the comic books we read each month and each week. Um, I'm trying. And I think, uh, luckily, uh, the guests have complied, and we've had some really great shows uh, this year. So uh, thank you very much for your support. League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There's some cool books out there right now. Among them, the Grayson Super Spy Omnibus. What a tremendous series from uh, Mikkel Janin, Tom King, and Tim Seeley. Uh, this collects it all. It even includes uh, the Grayson Future's End uh, issue and Robin War 1 and 2, Nightwing Rebirth. Um, so, you know, you kind of get an end to Dick's time as a spy for Spiral and uh, back into the DC Universe properly and stuff. But uh, that was a really fun turn. For Dick Grayson, and I think one of the real surprises of the DCU period. Uh, it certainly lasted 20 issues, and uh, again, was very, very popular. This omnibus is 50% off. It's just $49.99. They've uh, re-put out another DC book uh, from Alan Davis, uh, who wrote and drew it. Mark Farmer did the inking. The Nail, a great Elseworld story from the Justice League. Um, this collects both the original series and also uh, the, uh, the, the uh, sequel, Another Nail. And it's pretty cool. Got all in uh, one big uh, collection for the first time. 320 pages. 50% off. It's $19.99. Good to see that uh, Volume 3 of I Hate Fairyland is out. Good girl. That's Scotty Young at his best. Uh, <laughs> at his dirtiest and uh, most diabolical. It collects issues 11 through 15. And uh, it's 42% off. It's $9.85 in in-stock trades. Uh, there is also, let's see, I want to get some more uh, indie stuff in here. Well, there certainly is uh, Mr. Higgins Comes Home, the hardcover. Good steampunk adventure from the mind of Mike Mignola and uh, beautiful art from Warwick Johnson. 45% off, $8.24. Just a few of the great things available now at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. Great books at great prices. If your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping from InStockTrades.com. 
All right, without further ado, let's uh, pick up our conversation with Vanita Rogers of Newsarama. And I say Rama uh, just to kind of uh, upset uh, poor Matt Brady. It's Rama like drama, not Rama like banana Rama. Yeah, whatever. I say Rama. Deal with it. Vanita Rogers, uh, great conversation with Vanita about the comics market and really the geek culture in general. Now on Word Balloon. I am thrilled to welcome back my friend, Vanita Rogers. And it's been like literally like at least five or six years since you've been on Word Balloon. And that's embarrassing in itself. Is it? Is it? Has it? I, I'm afraid oh, to look at the list of programs to actually see how many years it's been since we've talked on the air. But I'm glad to have you back. So welcome back. Thank God it's not video because people go, that's her. Shut She's up. aged so much. Shut up. Not at all. So, and it's, you know, we miss you on the convention circuit, but you know, you're a mom and you got, you got a kid that was at activity age and I can't believe the kid's already in college. You were telling me off the record. I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've got, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm officially an empty nester, although she comes back on the weekends a lot. So I don't know how official it is. <laughs> That's cool. That's all right. So, but I've, I've really appreciated what you've been writing about in terms of, uh, the the industry and also specifically the direct market you've done a series of articles uh this year in particular to ask a lot of basic questions that i think readers are asking and certainly retailers and it's funny I, as we're recording i just got off the phone with dirk wood and the one point that i always want to remind everybody is the real customers of the publishers are the retailers because literally all mm-hmm. of us consumers that rely on being wednesday warriors we are at the mercy, the purview, the whims of the retailer and what they choose to stock in their store. And, yes, we could go that extra step, and they're very happy to pre-order something. But, you know, I mean, that's like, uh, you know, vote early or, you know, make sure you do your tax- taxes well before April 15th and, and the like in terms of, you know, comics sometimes are that thing of, no, I'm walking in the store and I want to buy what's there now. So. Well, it's even more true now because, I mean, one of the things that was – I actually had some things pointed out to me. I did a I did a retailing story – I don't know. I think it was in December or something, and, and somebody completely off the record that I won't say who it is, but they're pretty high up in the industry, called me and said, no, I read your stuff. But you didn't even mention that how many titles – are coming from some of these publishers and how many, you know, how many titles they're trying to sell, even though sales are down from where they were. Right. So, so when you talk about the retailers choosing what they have on the shelves, that's even more important now where a lot of retailers feel like there are a lot more titles to choose than they could possibly stock on their shelves. So they're going to be even more choosy um, out of these slew of, different titles being offered, not just by the superhero publishers, but also even by the independent. There's so many things coming out. So it, they completely are the customers. That's, that's who's got to, got to decide how many issues of this and that and the other thing that they're going to stock on the shelf. And not only, you know, the obvious, like, do I like this book? But then we get into the gimmicks that each uh, of the, you know, the big publishers will sometimes lay out. And certainly, uh, for Marvel, these lenticular covers and, you know, the shorthand of the story is that you might have to buy 25 issues of, God, I'm going to, you know, just say Ant-Man 28 to get the hot, you know, a hot lenticular cover of a completely different title. And it's like, yeah, my story doesn't sell three copies of Ant-Man 28. And that's kind of lousy. And I, I really, that in particular, I find incredibly mean 
<laughs> for a lack of a better word. Well, well, and it, it completely – so these sales numbers that we see are influenced by things like uh, the variant covers, the uh, returnability, those kind of things. So we see these these sales numbers come in, and obviously the – you know, the editorial team, the publishing team, they can pat themselves on the back for these numbers that are coming in. But how many of those 25 comics that are required for, I'll use Ant-Man again, yeah. you know, how many of those actually sold or did they take that lenticular cover and sell it on eBay and make back, you know, what they would have made on, say, 10 of those copies and they actually sold 15 of them. You know what I mean? So that's, and then, then for, you know, company who orders hundreds, they might actually order an extra hundred. So they get a few more of those variant covers. So yeah, it, it inflates the numbers unjustly, but from a sales standpoint, so if you're the publisher and you're sitting back and maybe seeing your competition doing that, and so what would keep, why wouldn't you do it? You know, why wouldn't you say, well, you know, we need to beat last year's numbers or we need to, we need to make sure that these, these comments keep selling. So why wouldn't you do it? Um, and, but then the smaller publishers are saying, well, here's why you wouldn't do it. Cause because of all those extra copies of Ant-Man, this guy doesn't have the budget to, to buy my comic, right. you know? So, so in a way, you can also argue it's hurting the industry. So it's just a really weird situation we're in right now where we'd like to think that comic books aren't like they were in the 90s where people were just collecting them and that these sales numbers are actually people who are really reading them. But um, when you drill down into it, there are some things influencing the industry overall that are worth looking at from not just collect maybe it's not collectability as much, although the lenticular covers are, I think, but just, you know, manipulating the numbers right. to tell one story when there's a completely different story under it. And it seems like, you know, and it's specifically Marvel. Cause I, I don't, and again, you, you primarily well, cover DC. DC's got lent- I think DC is, the, uh, you know, they've got some lenticular covers. Oh, right yeah. now. I do primarily cover DC so I can talk to you about the specifics of, the storylines at DC. I don't know a lot of, but I do, I watch the whole industry. So I know the stuff in general that's going on at Marvel, you know, the different events they've got going on and what they've got coming up kind of, so I can't talk about the real specifics about the 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 business stories. Like, you know, who, who, no, I can't talk about like, I don't know. Who killed who? Oh or, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, what's I'm, the secret meeting behind the the cliffhanger well, at the I'm, end of such and such issue? But I, I you know, from an industry wide standpoint, I, when I did the stories, I did a whole series of stories in January, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of attacks on Marvel, and um, it did look like Marvel was guilty on a higher scale of a lot of the evils, the oversaturation, they, they still have a lot more. If you look at the number of titles shipping, they still are, they're always the highest. Right. You know, they're always shipping a whole lot more goods um, or offering those, you know, a lot more titles, I should say, uh, offering a lot more titles than other publishers. And, um, you know, so they seem to be the only one, but really, if you look at it, uh, there's there's more than just them, and other people are following along with it because they see them doing it. For example, lenticular covers. People see, well, Marvel's being successful because they're doing those things. We got to get out there and do that too, you know. So I don't know. I guess you could say maybe they're being the leader, or they were the leader in some of these things. But now it seems like it's a almost almost industry wide problem. Not quite. There's some people that are just saying, 
you know, enough is enough. Well, I guess what I was saying, though, too, was more that it's the business end versus any editorial choices. And again, the the added I mean, I, I know that there are incentives to get lenticular covers, but they just seem more extreme with Marvel and that it's key to yeah, them are. making <laughs> making more money each quarter. And that's and again, that every corporation is like that. But it's uh, it just seems like yeah, Marvel Marvel seems to stunt these things so that the 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 again the numbers look good at the end of the quarter, rather and again based on the gimmick versus God, this is a hot story. Everybody wants to read this thing. We sold out on this amazing story, and they're, they're kind of forcing sales that have very little to do with the product, other than the gimmick end of the product. Well, I mean, if we're going to be honest, if you talk to retailers, and this this is honestly yeah, them speaking, not me, <laughs> I, I, they really most retailers, although they love their Marvel comics, and really, you know, most of their sales probably come from Marvel. Um, they do feel like DC is a little more retailer friendly. DC has this, you know, this returnability that they do, which I think you know retailers really appreciate. Mm-hmm. They do have a little bit easier structure for their variant covers, or even you know, very like compared to Marvel, definitely. Yeah. So I think I think they do feel like uh, I know DC. You know, I'm not, I have not talked to them in a few months about this, but like they they offer. Um, help with advertising when they did the big new 52 push they definitely you know, reached out to retailers about it i think they continue to do that a lot more so you know i think there's just a feeling among retailers that dc values the uh the direct market a little more than marvel but so it's easy to you know it's easy to get retailers to say oh you know marvel's doing all these bad things but i, I think you know over the whole industry Unfortunately, I think there's there's a little bit of that with everybody to some extent. Um, I, I just hate to point right at Marvel and just say it's all their fault. No, you know? no, and, and I agree with you. And, I, and honestly, <laughs> but they're clearly. I mean, if you look at some of the evils, it, it, yes, you know, definitely on the oversaturation. It, it, if you look at the number of titles and and what some of them are and talk to the retailers. I mean, some of these titles, they're like you know, I used to sell really high numbers of four X-Men related titles and now I'm selling really little numbers of 10, you know, or something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. So, because uh, for some reason, I don't know, I'm not sure if, if printing costs have gone back. I mean, for a while they were complaining that paper costs were really high. Maybe, maybe they, you know, make it, make more money if they have more titles. I wouldn't think so, you know? So I'm not sure what their, their theory is, or maybe as their sales go down, they just think they need to add another, title you know dc was guilty of it to some extent everybody seemed to be trying to hold them to that 52 number and i think probably that was too many you know what i mean now i think they they ship maybe that many but it's the same title a couple times a month instead or you know they don't hold fast to it or maybe they'll add some mini series or some events or things like that they don't have to have 52 separate titles so you know Maybe they were guilty of a little bit of a oversaturation at the time. So, yes. so you know, I think um, well, that's there's uh, there's a lot of uh, different I don't know a lot of different players in the game. Well, no, and <laughs> I agree with you. And I was going to say, let's not you know, we I'm not uh, kissing DC's ass because they in the failures of the New Fifty Two and uh, DCU, the stuff that came right before mm-hmm. Rebirth. 
they were sucking right. and they had to and, and frankly Marvel <laughs> Marvel had the same problem in the early 2000s and had to pull back and get some focus and say all right let's let's remember why these characters are important and why they're good and and you know likely that may be what's coming with um, the Marvel Legacy initiative but yeah DC did have the same or similar problems and had to pull back because they needed you know they needed to regain retailer confidence and and truly maybe well, maybe marvel yeah. in in 2018 is going to have to go through that that same thing to a degree and, and maybe they already are legacy yeah with the whole legacy initiative well i to kind of back up a minute i think really from a retailing standpoint one of the things as opposed to the the story elements or respecting the characters and all or you know getting back to the core which is definitely a part of rebirth i think that's what they're kind of trying to lean toward with legacy but um when we talk about the new 52 another thing that it did was it 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 kind of tested the waters for relaunching with a new number one and not testing the water. They they jumped completely into the yeah. waters, I should say. And they just relaunch everything with a new number one. And it appeared right away to really work for yeah. them. Their sales went way up and people were really interested in comics again. Um, and But then what happened is the the superhero relaunches just kept returning, yep. you know, happening again. Yep. And I think Marvel was guilty of this to, to quite an extent. Like oh, you would yeah. have just constantly like you know there's a new new number one now this is you know so you before 2011 you maybe had like volume five or volume six or something but now i mean all of a sudden you had like volume 10 volume 12 you know for real just constantly these new number one and i'm I heard a lot of retailers really complaining about that. Well, like the, how do you catalog they felt that? Like how do you how just, do you for the consumer? Yeah, well, not only the cataloging, but from a sales yes. standpoint, um, they felt like you know if if somebody starts reading with a new number one, and at the end of number six, there's going to be a new number one. It's a perfect jumping off point. What what New Fifty Two I think was trying to do was getting a jumping on point. But then the more relaunches you do and the more you do it, it, it also you start losing people. So I think that um, if there's anything that the new 52 did, the retailers would point you know straight toward that was the beginning. It would be these constant relaunches that the superhero comics experienced in the 2010s or the early 2010s, you know, and it did. It, it hurt those comic books. And it also led to this oversaturation because let's put out two new number ones because the sales on that one's down. Let's stop it at, you know, issue 12 and then we'll put out two new number ones instead of just that one new, that one, you know, issue. So, or that one title. So yeah, I think relaunches was, was over time. It became a problem for the industry. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and I think there was a calendar year where spider Gwen, there might've been three number ones within a 12 month period. And it's, yeah, yeah, it gets it does get <laughs> ridiculous, and you don't know as a consumer which book to start with because again, you know, like you said, they're all number ones. I like Jeff Loeb's solution, and he's not the only one. And really, Dark Horse does do this with their numbering. It's you know, let's have Superman Fall of Krypton one through six, and then the next thing be Superman Luther's Revenge one through or one through five, because mm-hmm. it would it would simplify things and people would know what story they're they're buying. And that it's a it's a you get two new first issues each year, 
So they're, they're you right. know, that kind of, hey, all right, we're, this is a new thing and here we go. Um, I don't, right. I mean, that just seems or even like it keep makes the numbering up in the, keep the number in the top right corner, but then have another number under right. it, like this, exactly. this storyline, well, like where we are in the story. Right. Line. Cause, because the arbitrary return to original numbering is, you know, like, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, you know, again, it's like <laughs> they, they abandon it and embrace it to their own whims. And again, mm-hmm. all it does is confuse customers. And yeah, it's no. And I think that's an even better solution. You're right. Is keeping the legacy numbers going uh, for those completists. I, I don't know. Well, because again, that's a, a, it, it, they're all components of the direct market. I mean, that's that's the thing. Right. Man, you know, and it's crazy because I forget when you came into comics, but, you know, as someone who came in in the 70s and was buying them at the candy shop when I was a little kid. And then to see the direct market and the direct market was such a, an amazing innovation in the oh, 80s. Yeah, yeah. And now it's this, what do we do with this? Um, and how do we, because right. it's the backbone of the industry and it needs to survive. And I, and I get that. It, it is now. And it, the model, like you wonder if, I don't know, if, if, if you dropped in and there was nothing existing, would you say, well, the best thing for comic books right now in this day and age is to have standalone stores, which of course retailing in general is like not doing well right. because of online retailing. Right. So is that the best thing for comic books? You probably wouldn't come up with that. But it, but knowing the history of comic books, it did. It saved the comic book industry. It turned the comic book industry into something new, really. And um, even even the literature itself, it matured yeah. along with Absolutely. that. You know, it became this whole new medium almost. I mean, it, it, you know, it just really changed things. So. So the, there was a lot of good that came with it, but now, uh, decades later, uh, you have to wonder if this is the ideal situation. But at the same time, you you you, you can't change it, and um, you you can't back away from it because it is the backbone. Like you said, this is this is where we're so. I mean, I did an article on okay, so you know, is is has digital hurt print? And most of the publishers I talked to said not really it supports it we think we're getting new customers we haven't seen that it hurts print and all of them said print is still you know our number one i mean that's that's where our sales come from so i think a lot of people maybe 10 years ago would have predicted the complete opposite that oh comic books are going to go all digital everything's digital you know when those little book readers first started coming out yes and um and the first time they announced uh, the uh, the iPad, yep. you know, and Tablets. people are going to be able to read comics on their tablet. Um, I think, you know, people predict, predicted the demise of the comic book industry, but really print is still um, is still the backbone of the industry, even though you can read things digitally. Well, you're right. It- but, but at the same time, digital sales, um, you know, are robust and um, – a lot of publishers said that their digital sales are also important. So I don't know. I, it'd be easy for us to sit here and say, well, 10 years down the road, will that be even, you know, will they really, that's when we'll start to see print go away. I don't know. A lot of people like to predict that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I hope the, di- the direct market does survive. And it's funny because I was one of those people, I think, in the late aughts and in the early you know, 2010, 2011 period, like, hey, if the direct market has to go, you know, shrug, so be it. I hope not. But if if they can't, if stores yeah. can't find a way to sustain. Now, though, 
I am in full. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, I'm glad that the digital revolution has not killed the direct market. And further, I like the idea that comic stores, good comic stores, can be like, and forgive the haughty comparison, but like salons, but like mini, mm-hmm. a, a destination. Because, man, you know, again, you and I, we're from that record store uh, generation that had music stores and the retailer was the place mm-hmm. that you really you learned how to define what you like and your tastes and culture. And I think that mm-hmm. it's really important to have that kind of destination. And c- good comic stores still provide that. They have book clubs. They invite creators in for signings. And, and further, mm-hmm. if they can't you know, physically be there, they'll have a Skype chat with a creator. And I think that it, building community is a huge value to the store, obviously, to the readers and to the industry. And it keeps people faithful and engaged and really interested in what's going on. And I wonder now, and it was something we talked about a little bit off the air, uh, about the average reader uh, age. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. And some of your your research in these articles kind of showed an interesting number. Well, the retailers said that although they're seeing, you know, more every day, they're seeing more young people, um, the, really the core of their of their customer base is in their 30s, their mid to late 30s, yep. the, which, you know, I think most of us had suspected for a while that, um, well, I mean, if you go to comic conventions, you know, people, people talk about how, oh, half the people there are women, but really most of the men you see are in their 30s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not all. And, and, and of course, it depends on the comic convention. I think if something's more focused on movies and The Walking Dead and that kind of stuff, you're going to see a completely different crowd than someplace that's truly just about buying comic books and, and comic book, seeing comic book creators, a little different crowd. But yeah, it is, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, and people say, oh, we should get them back on the spinner racks in grocery stores. Well, you know, if the core of the direct market is, you know, 30 something, it's probably not going to be people who are buying it off the comic book center rack. But, you know, do we want to get young people reading comics again? I, I, I certainly with the, the current uh, offering, just not to say that there aren't some great kids comics out there. Obviously there are. And we both have friends who write kids, oh, yeah. kids comics. There's some fantastic kids comics. Um, but a lot of what's offered in the direct market and most of the best-selling titles are definitely not for kids. Agreed. But I also think that um, through more mainstream publishers, non-comic publishers, the kid, the kid comic market is thriving and also selling at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and, and brick-and-mortar stores. Yeah. And that's great. Book retailers. Yeah, no, exactly. I totally agree. And they're sometimes even in a different format. Yep, you know, absolutely. they're more of the digest size stuff or actual books. And um, but they're still, uh, you know, serial comic book reading. A lot of times there'll be a whole series of of books or a series of digest, and and obviously it's still still word balloons to use sure. to use the word. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, they still on the inside, they yeah. still look like comics and they're definitely comic storytelling and everything. But I um Right, right. But um yeah, as far as that as you know, that, that direct market audience and stuff being in their in their mid thirties, right. I also wonder with the young people that are discovering uh comics and are and are coming through uh 
you know, it used to be the it used to be Sandman, Neil Gaiman series, but now you know Saga, right? And uh, right, you know, some of, some of the other more uh, creator owned centric comics that aren't superhero fare. I, you know, it's funny because I always feel like, and boy, I, forgive me, listeners, if you find this analogy tiring, but I don't know if Anita's heard me say this. To me, DC and Marvel are like Burger King and McDonald's, and it's like, mm-hmm. hey, man, I came in for a Whopper. Don't try it. I mean, right, we, right. we always had. <laughs> Like a special Sandman comic from DC or, you know, God, the great cosmic stuff that was coming from Marvel, from Epic Illustrated and some of the other uh, things they did in the in the late 70s and, and, and through the 80s and stuff. That that was always cool and, and available to us. But like the DCU initiative where they, I think, really tried very hard to get that new image 20-something audience. And it's like, you know... As cute as it is, and I love Heath Corson, and I love the guy that did that Bizarro miniseries, and it was adorable. But it's like I don't know if the twenty-something kid gives a shit about Bizarro as as adorable and as great as that comic was. I, you know, they're they're coming in for Saga, and they're not necessarily thinking, oh, DC's doing Prez again. Let me check out this cool version right, of Prez. Right, right. And it, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I I think they have to really recognize who's supporting their stuff, and also. It is interesting that they, uh, on the television and film stand standpoint, you know, people can't get enough of Iron Man and the Avengers and the CW Arrowverse of of DC characters mm-hmm. that they're exposed to, mm-hmm. and and how how much of that is really translating into the comics? They're trying, and certainly DC is trying. You know, they're doing those like they did that Flash uh, season zero that obviously took from the television mm-hmm. continuity and extending the Smallville continuity in the comics and Arrowhead, I know it. It's well, for a while there, they even had uh, some of the writers from the TV yep. show were working Absolutely. on some of books. They brought uh, some of the characters into the comics. So, yeah, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know that it does translate. I certainly, most retailers I talk to when it comes to superhero movies and superhero TV shows, they don't see a lot of people then come into the store and say, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to keep reading. I want to, you know, read this stuff. And I've certainly interacted with people because I'll run into people who ask what I do, you know, for a living or whatever. Certainly some of my kids' friends. And when I say, you know, DC comics or, or, or Marvel comics or something like that, they immediately say, Oh my gosh, you know, I love the flash. Do you have any, any, you know, I love watching the TV show. Do you have any flash comics you can give me? And I'm sure. You know, cause I've got comics laying around and I'll give them comics, but these aren't, they're like, Oh, that was really neat. But I don't see them like run into the comic store to get, you know what right, I mean? Like it doesn't, trans, it doesn't quite translate. Yeah. Where are those characters that they, translate. yeah. Where are the characters that they love from the TV show? Why is it Felicity in the green arrow? Company? Well, it's just a, it's just a very different, I think it's just a different experience. And you have to be a reader Agreed. to be a certain, Absolutely. I don't know. There's just, there's just, it, it doesn't always translate. That said, a lot of the non superhero fare seems to get people in the door yep. like obviously with the walking dead good lord when that became so huge then the sales of those collections just went through the roof yeah. so that does seem to translate to people walking in the store and saying hey this, i'm really into this graphic novel that's on television so now i want to read the graphic novel um but i don't from what i understand from retail retailers if it's if it's not a character that's been around since the 1940s and everybody's heard of Batman, like when a Batman movie comes out, people don't go, Oh my gosh, I got to read the source material. Right. You know what I mean? Right. 
but when something completely they've never heard of before comes out and then they hear it's a graphic novel, they do want to read the source material. So I think it's a little bit different translation, but it helps the industry. I mean, obviously people coming in for The Walking Dead, then they'll say, hey, have you read this other thing by Kirkman or this other thing coming out from Skybound or something? Yeah. You know, they'll lead them to something else. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely good for the industry that being a quote unquote geek is cool now, you yeah. know, or being into, uh, into superheroes is really cool. Yeah. The, it's funny. Cause we, you know, I, I would always say the comics culture, but now it really isn't necessarily the comics culture, but it is like, yeah, they love, they love, uh, flash. They love green arrow. They love watching, uh, you know, again, you know, the Marvel movies. I'm not, I'm still not convinced, unfortunately. And I know, you know, they keep trying on the TV side with Marvel <laughs> And uh, and boy, Loeb, if you're listening, I apologize. But you know, I'm talking to him in a few weeks. <laughs> I, you know, this whole the Inhumans thing, you know, is fascinating. And I don't know what's uh, this is going to be very interesting. If literally, dude, I so I there's these friends of mine. This is crazy. Like I, you know, there's these friends of mine. Where are we? I don't even remember now. But they mentioned oh, they're they're going to a movie later tonight or something okay. like that. And I said, Oh, what are you going to see? And they said, we're going to see that the inhumans. And I said, well, it's a TV show. And I, I guess I did, hadn't caught that they were shown in movie theaters and somehow then talking about it and everything. I ended up going in the movie theater and watching oh, it. Talk it to me. Very cool. Is it good? <laughs> I thought it was good, but then I love the inhumans. Yeah. That's one comic with Mark. You yeah, know, I, I like the, I love that whole mythology. I've only, but I thought it was good. I've only, I mean, I thought it was good. I've only seen and and the people with me who do not read comic, they don't read comic books. They didn't know anything about anything. They said, in fact, they were convinced that this was going to be, uh, what did they what did they think it was? This is going to be way back in time, the origin story, like way back when where did the Inhumans first come from? And I said, mm, I don't know. I bet you it's present day, and they're on they're on the moon, right? <laughs> you know? And I, and I was right. <laughs> You know, because that's that's what the comics are. They they actually interact with the Marvel universe. And I said, I think they're probably going to interact with like the Agents of Shield and everything. Sure. And um, yeah, I, I liked it. I I I'm looking forward to seeing what what comes next. Well, I, uh, I liked it. I enjoyed it's it. It's weird though because again, that's the first positive thing I've heard about it. And um, I, I well truly, <laughs> and, and again, I didn't see it in the IMAX. I'm like, no, I'll wait well, for you. Well, you are going to have a fun discussion with Loeb. <laughs> well, that's well because, I, and I'm sure maybe you heard the same behind the scenes things. Maybe I, maybe not. But I also heard that you know, Ike Perlmutter, who's in charge of Marvel, was pretty specific in terms of. First of all, it was almost an "I'll show Kevin Feige" uh, kind of thing because Inhumans wow. originally was supposed to be. <laughs> A movie on the on the right. cinematic slate yeah. gets taken off after the uh, end of the relationship between Marvel movies and the rest of Marvel. Kevin Feige has constructed a, a boy. You want to go to a wall? If uh, Donald Trump needs someone to right. build a wall, go to Kevin Feige because he knows how to build one. Uh, and yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, no, I want nothing to do with the comic side of Marvel, the television side of Marvel, and this wall now exists. Again, I look forward to talking to right. Loeb and and hearing how he would perceive any sort of relationship that the cinematic universe and the TV universe still has. All that said, mm-hmm. um, that that also they were given a very specific budget of this is how much money Marvel is willing to spend on this show and coming from the top, coming from a guy like Eric Perlmutter, and that it was like, all right, well, we'll do our best. And the TV show, the, the, the two-part pilot that they made, and I don't know how many episodes they've already made. I'm assuming at least half a season, at least an initial 13 or 9 Something like that. 
um, are kind of again they were the budget really kind of dictated what they could and couldn't do, and as a consequence, well, I'll tell you, you know, right now that was that was pretty obvious. And and being someone who's watched enough of these TV shows, I mean, it was it was kind of obvious because those really cool powers that you see in the beginning. I won't spoil what happens, although I'm sure people probably know. Again, I, I, I didn't keep up. I didn't know it was going to be in a movie theater. I'll just see it. I, I, didn't, I didn't know a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. But, um, I mean, I knew some of it. I'd heard some of that. But, um, yeah, by the, by the end of the, the second episode, like, they're not able to use a lot of those powers anymore. Like, things happen. So that really um, expensive special effects aren't necessary oh, well. anymore because those powers aren't there anymore. So, yeah, I did think about that toward the – about – I don't know. Well, see, I watched it. It was kind of just all one long thing, right. not two different episodes. But I would say about halfway through the – what I would perceive to be about halfway through the second episode, I, I did become aware of, okay, well, this isn't going to be as cool as that first part. Therefore, I can I can see where the third episode is definitely not going to be as cool as like the what I – the pilot or whatever, what I saw at the beginning. So we'll see. Well, did you hear? But I liked it. Okay. But then I got I got kind of tired of Agents of Shield, so I could see myself getting kind of tired of. Well, I felt. Why well, did this come way. into a? Re- how did this turn into a review of Marvel television? Well, honestly, well, because I want to hear. You know, you, hey, you're one of us, and I, this is why I don't do. I don't do reviews, though, you know, on Newsroom. I don't do reviews I, because I, when I watch that, I'm like, oh, that was cool. And that's my that's my critique. I understand. People go, well, what about this and this and this? And I'll say, yeah, you're right. That, that was kind of dumb. But but it was cool. It was cool. No, it's okay. I mean, honestly, I don't do reviews on my show either and, and my platform. I, I You know, people know that I talk to the people that I like. And that's my review. If you're not hearing a lot about an X-Men yeah. book, it might be because I'm not reading that X-Men book. It's that simple. But all that right. said, no, I think this stuff is all part of the conversation. And also, I mean, again, we're watching these big companies, you know, get an opportunity to really be part of mainstream culture in a way that it hadn't been. I mean, it, it had in the past. I mean, I always like to point out and every now and then at a convention, go, guess what? In the days of old time radio... There was a lot of comic book uh, media programming going on, and you would be shocked at some of the things like Archie lasted on the radio for almost 15 years. That's pretty impressive. You know, stuff like the Superman serial, all the Green Hornet, all that stuff. So it's just as it was just as valid then as it may be now. And again, it was more for a juvenile audience, but again, it was millions of listeners. So you can't deny that happened and also even the spurts in the 50s and 60s with tv and 70s so now that but now it's a chance to really as we said that the stories have become more sophisticated in comics the same with the television and movie fair and yeah there's an expectation that goes along with that but also the reason why i bring up the inhumans maybe you don't know or heard but they might just only show the pilot the two the two parts of the pilot and then that's it and I think that's very no, I did hear Oh, that. there you go. And that's why. No, I'm fascinated. <laughs> I, I did hear that, but we'll see. Yeah. See, I really – okay, one of the well, – here's another thing that I, I kind of wish that people could see more than – well, like I said, the, the pilot – and they made it very clear, okay, we don't have the budget to keep this up. The, the first part of it – I mean, to me, as a fan – and I think that that's that's I remember going into that first Spider-Man movie and, I you know, oh, my gosh, with CG, you know. So as a fan, part of it is just, oh, my gosh, my 
my comic book heroes realized yep. in real life. Yep. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Like there was just a very cool thing about that. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I, get I don't know what's going to happen. I thought it was cool. I thought it was good. I enjoyed well, it. I would definitely, I would definitely go come back and, and watch the, the third, uh, the third episode. If I, if I watch those two, but I will. Well, while we're on this, I will. Well, I definitely. Would while we're on the same subject, are, are, I forget. Are you a Star Trek person? Um, I'm somewhat into Star Trek. <laughs> I'm, uh, I used to be much more into Star Trek. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, the reboot. <laughs> did you, okay. Did you see, uh, even the free episode on CBS? I did. I did. My husband and I watched okay. it. And, okay. um, uh, yeah, I, we honestly didn't, we didn't like plan ahead. We just happened upon it. So I, I missed the very beginning of it, but wow. Was that an adjustment? Yeah, like it just was done very differently. I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying you know. Obviously, there were parts of it that I that just kind of make you cringe because that's just it had that kind of humor, you know. That just kind of I don't know. Maybe um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not a person for that kind of humor. But then there were parts of it that I don't know. I kind of enjoy. It was a breath of fresh air. But um, yeah, I don't know if that that could make it. I just I, I don't know that it would appeal to me, and I I kind of think most people who are going to be watching Star Trek on television would be more like me. I don't know. Well, that's what do you what did you think? Well, I'll tell you because I I I am a huge Star Trek fan, and and bought CBS All Access intending to watch the entire series, whether it's great or it sucks, because I'm happy to watch anything that's called Star Trek, and I have you know I felt like the JJ movies have been up and down in quality. I thought the first one was great. I thought the second one, they tried way too hard with fan service. And it, it, right. it and I think that's... Um, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, Sandcastle kind of fell apart because of it. Third one was better, a lot better. But mm-hmm. I still have my little, I agree with that. you know, quirks. Okay, so Discovery. <laughs> first of all, CBS made... And this is really the first opportunity I've had to talk about this at length on the podcast. <laughs> CBS made a huge mistake not showing both parts on free TV because oh, really? well, I thought so. And I, and I'm interested in your feeling, but I thought the first hour was too much of a tease and not enough of a complete, uh, even story because the second episode does end on a cliffhanger and it's really a prologue for the entire what's to come series. And that's why it should have been presented as a two hour. This is the direction we're going Here's here's huh. a here's enough of a full story that if you want to bail, I mean, because I say this about comic books as well, that it's really important for a first issue to feel like, okay, I get where we're going. At least something happened in the comic that made me feel like, okay, I get it. And and even and maybe shame on me for expecting a bit of a resolution. And it, it doesn't need to be a positive resolution, but it needs to say the story right. started here and to end right at the beginning of a Klingon battle and just be like, okay, see you later. If you want more, go, you got to pay. It's like, well, that's kind of shitty. And I, and I really think they, they might've gotten more and I'll be interested. I'm sure we'll never know how many viewers we got, uh, going to CBS all access or ultimately how many they get, but it will be interesting to see if the numbers are enough that they do, you know, because right now they're saying, oh yeah, no, no, we're going to continue this story beyond these 15 episodes and give you another story about this crew and this ship. And it's like, okay. Um, but we'll see how many people actually make the leap. Hmm. I personally felt like it, I, well, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I would, I, I would not continue watching it from what was on there you go. TV. 
what I saw. So, but I'm, I don't know. So I can't judge whether or not if they had shown more. Um, yeah, you know, well, that's, I mean. It would be better because all I saw was what they, sh- and I, I would not, I would not. Feel well, but, but like I said, I'm not, I, I, I ran out when they, when the, the first. Um, JJ ever. JJ's first, the first movie. Um we, I mean, I was at the midnight showing. I was very excited, but then um, I saw this. I, I don't think I was quite as excited about the side. I, I just didn't like that everything was being rebooted. Like everything went away. I know I'm such a fanboy. Cool. <laughs> you know, I'm using that in a negative term. Um, but uh, but then I, yeah, I I liked the second one, and I I I liked the third one. I liked the third one a little bit better, but I don't know. I miss I miss I miss you know. John Picard and sure. I don't know. I miss the old continuity. I just kind of wanted to see that. Well, I understand. And also, there's some sort of weird rights issue between because originally CBS and Paramount were all under the Viacom arm, and then Viacom uh, split off all of its parts and then reassembled. And CBS owns the IP of Star Trek, the intellectual property for people who hmm. don't understand IP. And then, but there's something going right. on where Paramount has the right to show the movies, but CBS gets a lot of uh, leeway in terms of what they can and can't do. And it's weird because I was looking forward to the TV show to get away from Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams' company and get some fresh right. eyes and fresh perspective. And there are a lot of fresh eyes and fresh perspective on Star Trek Discovery. But obviously something will happen to make Brian Fuller leave. Something else happened that it looks more like the J.J. Abrams universe as opposed to classic Star Trek. And I don't buy the – I mean the technology is one thing. And that and that and you know that's enough for a lot of fans to get angry about and say right. it looks way too sophisticated to be 10 years before – the solid state right. track tape world of Star Trek back in the sixties. Right. And I, but I understand that right. from an aesthetic standpoint and also hopefully getting more of a mainstream audience. I get all that, but um, it, uh, so I, my, my problem more was uh, from a, just a few choices character wise and things, but also ultimately that um, specifically about this presentation, like I said, I don't think they gave people enough in that free sample and I think it's going to hurt them. And, I, and I'll be very interested to watch, much like the progression of the Netflix shows and all these other streaming platforms yeah. and also the over-the-air, uh, you know, and, and including basic cable and pay cable examples. We're going to get Watchmen again, it looks like, on HBO, yeah. or at least they're going to oh make a pilot. Gosh. I'm psyched. That's crazy. Yeah, but it's such a great story. <laughs> know, and it's, it's and, and I liked the 2009 no. movie. No, it is. You know. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I'm, I, you know, there's some, there's so, there's so much. I just, I'm, it's amazing yes. to me. It is because, as you and I know, like there was a point where there was nothing or very, yep. very little, and it just, it's just amazing that there's so much. But that's the cool thing about it is that I can. I can't say, eh, I'm not going to watch that. I am going to watch yeah. this because there's yeah. enough of a choice. I don't feel like, I mean, if there was only one show on, you would almost feel like you have to watch it just to keep up with. But I, I don't know. You, you, I don't know. What do you, there's what, so much. What do you, what, what, like, are you watching the CW DC stuff? Yeah, I, I have, uh, I have lost track on Arrow. I've kind of fallen off, but I love the Flash. I'm such a Flash fan girl. Oh my gosh! And 
And I like Supergirl. I like I, I like Supergirl. I like Supergirl a lot. Um, yeah. And Legends, I so, I'll even admit uh, I like Legends. Legends is like the No, I like Legends too, although I don't watch it weekly when it's on, but we catch up on Me too. it. That's how I watch Just it. Just because, I mean, I have a busy life. Hey, so, bud. I, you know, <laughs> but with, with that flash, I'm literally, like, sitting on the couch on Tuesday night ready to, you know, I'm like, i got to see what happens. During no, it, so, but, so it's, uh, there's different levels of excitement. And um, my husband and I have watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. since the beginning. And we lost a little, you know you're losing excitement for it when there's, like, four episodes on the DVR yep. you haven't watched, yep. that kind of thing. That's kind of where we are. Yeah. Kind of where we are, we were last season, um, but still watch it. I mean, we still watch it, and you know, still Shield and still like the characters. And I would, I would say Shield, Shield and know. Gotham for me are the shows that Gotham lost. Well, you see, I'll watch, and and it got like this with Smallville <laughs> until the final couple seasons. But it was like I'll watch yeah. the premiere, and then I'll watch the cliffhanger. I'll make sure that I watch the season-ending cliffhanger, and I feel like I haven't right. really missed much. And that's kind of how I feel about <laughs> Gotham, and that's kind of how I feel yeah. about uh, about Shield. And uh, although uh, it was interesting, I was just at the Salt Lake City convention and was on a couple panels talking about the TV shows. And both from the audience and their other panelists, they all say that th- this last season of Shield literally was the best, and that they almost broke up into yeah. three mini story arcs: the Ghost Rider arc, the uh, I believe. Um, Patriot uh, running Shield, uh, Jeff uh-huh. Jeff Mace running Shield, and, which I like. I like that. Me too. Yeah. So I like that. so I'm going to kind of go back and no, it, it was it was definitely there were there were some very heartbreak. Did you did you watch the whole? Season? No, I got to catch up. Yeah, I got to catch up before I talk to Jeff. Oh, okay, go ahead. Okay, then I won't I won't I won't blow some up. But there were some. Um, I mean, there were there were some you know tears in your eyes kind of moments and. And there was some really interesting what if kind of things, you know, where characters were challenged. So I will say that I can understand why they think it was a great season, but I, I don't know. I, but at the same time, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why, but it, it lost a little bit of overall interest for me. So I don't How know. about the Netflix stuff. Oh, I love the Netflix. All stuff. of it. That's good stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. I, you um, know. Some of it better than others. Sure. I mean, I love Daredevil. Yeah, me too. That's my favorite. But I always loved. I love. Always love the character. Me so. too. Uh, uh, they did it. They just, you know, they, they did Daredevil right. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Which it just you just can't. I, I remember like the, the second episode. I thought I cannot believe they're actually doing this well. Yeah. Like you just you expect the worst. So yeah, that's. The, the other series are good though. They're good. They're good. Um, I like that they're building the. Uh, the they're building the um, kind of like a mini universe within the. Universe. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. No, I completely Pretty agree. Cool. Yeah. The uh, the defenders was better than Iron Fist. Um, obviously, and I kind of you know it's funny because I almost was without and you know everyone or so many people binged it immediately. And it was out on Friday, and already by Saturday night, it's like, watched it, loved it, or hated it, and more people hated it. And I'm like, oh, come on, man, it's Iron Fist. And I, and even uh, regardless of the argument, should Iron Fist have been Asian or not, um, I'm like, hey, I'm a huge Iron right. Fist fan. I'm going to watch this thing. And I have to admit, I had to slog through it. And it was, it was the right. weakest of the shows. 
And um, right. it's interesting from a viewership standpoint that that might have impacted the Defender numbers. I thought the Defenders was very right. good, but as I understand it, it's the least watched of of all the of all the shows. Huh. And I found that. And first of all, I'm surprised. So you think maybe be, be, they they watched after I watching Iron Fist, they were like, yeah, it's enough. Of yeah, that. maybe, maybe I I don't know. And that it's, maybe, it yeah. seems like that just on its own face value of of suddenly less people are watching. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. I I kind of wonder if that's the case, or that they're tired and that it's too much too quickly, and that you know maybe they need to space, yeah, and the, space yeah. the series out a bit more to to ensure it and let us miss this for a while before you come back with something new. I don't know. It's interesting. I love Barenthal uh, as the Punisher, and I I'm really looking forward to yeah. his series. And again, I really liked Defenders, and I loved how they did all come together. And you had Scott Glenn showing up as Stick, and you had. Foggy and Luke Cage right. having conversations, and you know, right. yeah. so no, I, I, I mean, I'm still yeah. loving the Netflix product, and it's, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing again how much money can you spend. That's the other thing too. When we, when we talk about this in comics, that there are too many good comics to buy. Good Christ, there's too many, uh, too many streaming services. It's you know, how, how is oh you know, unless you've cut the fully cut the cord as far as cable goes and stuff. It's yeah, man. That's a that's a hefty uh, monthly you know entertainment uh, cost to kind of keep this stuff going. It's crazy. Now remind me. See, I had no idea we were going to talk about. No, this no, stuff. and I, forgive me, honey. You know, <laughs> I just I, honestly, I always but like to talk as well. You know, it? not about the not just about the comics, but really about everything that's going on. And again, I I want to know. As, no, as I hear you. I hear you. Know. Remind me because you're you're probably well more well versed in this than I am. But the the isn't. Uh, the Flash going to be shown more immediately on I don't know if it's Hulu or Netflix or it seems like they're they're going to get the new episodes like two weeks after they they air on. Oh, cable. you know, and I and I had heard something about that, and I don't know like, the specifics. Something like that, right? Yeah, possibly. And I always, I you know, I'm going to have to look that up because or is it on, walking away from cable? But I, or it may be on their on that uh, seed. Warner, you know, CW Seed or whatever uh, platform. Yeah, maybe that. Tag on it. We gotta buy something else. I know. Well, and you know, obviously, the Marvel <laughs> stuff's gonna move off of Netflix by 2019, and it'll be on Disney's little right. platform. MGM has announced its own platform, and at San Diego, they right. teased a new Stargate uh, prequel series, but it's only gonna be on MGM's platform. It's like, okay, there's right. gotta be. I don't know. Again, well, something's gotta unite this stuff. You know, you would think. Like you and I, what we need to come up with is a platform, and then we make deals with all these people, and it's just called like geek platform yep. or comic book related or something like that. That's just anything that's related to I don't know science fiction or comic or superheroes or or comic book you know literature in any way, shape, or form. Like just we make deals with all of them, and you pay one fee, and you can see all this stuff, but we get nothing else from. You know, we get nothing else from MGM. We get nothing else from Disney. Just the, just the science the fiction, stuff just the superhero stuff. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah, ideally. And I mean, and I mean, again, Warner Brothers has enough of a library that it'll be interesting if that if that platform survives. I keep pointing out that there was that comedy streaming channel CISO, and they they went under this summer yeah. because there weren't enough subscribers, right. and they had good content. They had Monty Python. They had Kids in the Hall. They right. were doing new stuff. Um, you know, yeah, they had a lot of they had a lot of great ideas as far as new programming and also the the catalog that they were asking or providing. But yeah, there just wasn't enough, so they eventually went. I, I it's 
it's really interesting. And again, much like the comic market, is there you know there's clearly oversaturation on the streaming services, and it's like okay, I mean already uh, you know Yahoo bailed out on it, Sony Sony PlayStation bailed out. Uh, they you know they were doing powers with uh, Bendis and Oming and everybody. Uh, right. You know, so it's yeah. it's well, I got to think it's part of it is that. I don't know, you know, if, if, do they have like market share? I mean, I assume that Netflix is so, so, so much bigger than anybody right. else right now. That, I mean, cause I mean, I don't even know if I know very many people who don't have Netflix. If they have any kind of service, it's Netflix. So, and you know, a few people may have Hulu. And Amazon Prime. But really that's, that's the, yeah. And then Amazon Prime and maybe, maybe all three, but really, I think that's the problem is that these people are trying to break into a market that you really only have so much money to spend yep. on this. Stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I and bring it back to your <laughs> why why I had you out in the first <laughs> place. Yes, book. indeed. Uh, no, it was interesting to read your articles too when you were asking the retailers about the price point right now for comics and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your 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 favorite um your favorite comics, you're probably not gonna notice that it goes up a dollar. But it's or the big event comics. I mean, look at uh, what's the uh, metal. Oh my gosh, you know, and it's a higher priced yep. comic, and it was just huge. Number one was, I mean, what was it like two hundred and some thousand, some thousand copies of just outrageously high, even though it was not a low priced comic book. So, uh, you know, high quality or highly anticipated stuff, it just doesn't matter. But overall, so all these other little ancillary titles. Uh, people are going to think about it. They're not going to buy as many things if they don't have the money Agreed. for it. Absolutely. And, and prices are going up. They just absolutely are going well, up. And I love that you know, con- uh, I love that in contrast, the, the image creators with their self-create, you know, their, their creator-owned books are like, no, three bucks, three fifty, that's all right. That's, we, we make enough money from yeah. there, thank you. And the, the uh, you know, price point difference is, is glaring. And also, uh, I don't know. Again, I agree with you that the Buzz event will certainly get their numbers. And also, you know, yeah, I, you know, I know Frank Miller. I want to, need to read a new Frank Miller Batman comic, so I'll, I'll spend more money on that. Scott Snyder's a proven commodity. I'm happy for my buddy Tom King doing as well as he's doing. I think he's reaching that uh, trust level and stuff. And Mr. Miracle's been wonderful for the, the two issues we've gotten so far. Um, you know, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it is it is interesting. And, and again... As they flirt with regular comics, you know, slowly creeping up and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how many four dollar comics of, like you said, uh, the the opposite of of these known people. That well, I've never heard of this writer, and I don't know if I necessarily want to read. And again, I'm picking on poor Ant Man. I love Ant Man, but and I loved what Nick Spencer did with Ant Man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like I don't know if I necessarily need to read. But if, it's, if, if you know for sure that it's not going to cross over in a great way with the Avengers and Spider-Man or anything like that, it's just Ant-Man and his buddies, you're pro, you know, you're just, and you don't know the creator or whatever. It's just, you, it's going to be tough to justify spending that kind of money. And I think that it also goes back to, you know, we're talking about these 30 something readers that are the core of the, of the direct yeah. market industry and how, I mean, that cannot continue <laughs> not to say that we won't all live a ripe old age but you know it just it can't it, yeah. it's, there's got to be new blood and it's very hard to justify to a young person who 
pays 12 bucks a month and gets Daredevil and the Defenders and all this cool stuff, you know, that they should go out and spend for one, you know, for six issues as much as we're asking them to spend in the comic book yeah. store. It's it's hard from an entertainment standpoint to to justify that. I mean, that conversation has been going on a while, but I think it's even it's even more relevant when you realize that the the aging of the comic book reader and and how really these are people who did not have those other choices probably when they first got hooked on comic books. Agreed. Well, right. Yeah. I, I, so, I mean, somebody who's 38, 20 years ago when they first got hooked on comic books, probably they didn't have all of these other entertainment options, right. you know? No, absolutely. No question. They had, uh, they had maybe the arcade. Right. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> the mall. Yeah. And uh, they might have had cable, but right. <laughs> no, yeah, when any agree. superheroes on TV and Blade had just come out, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, that's the environment absolutely. we had twenty years well, again, ago, you know. Yeah, and again, that's why it's really, really interesting. And when the complaints of "oh, we're at that oversaturation point with superhero movies," and I'm like, I don't think so. And, uh, you know, again, uh, TV. It doesn't appear to be true. I'll tell you, when it first all started getting, like, it just felt like, oh, my gosh, there's just so many superhero movies in the mid-2000s, right? The mid-ups. It it did feel like, you know, you've, like, we keep saying, we've been around a while. But you remember the disaster movie craze. Yes, of course. Or even the the Western craze, right? Bingo. That's uh, exactly my point is the Western. (laughs) Go on. But so you just kind of you I don't know I I completely uh, understood the point of view that that there's going to be a point when people get a hold or get tired of superheroes and and I still can't help thinking maybe it'll come but it has lasted a long yeah. time and it, it doesn't feel like there's less interest in fact it feels like there's more there's a whole new younger generation you know coming up and. Go, you know they've gone back and watched. I mean they're rebooting Spider. You know they, re, they rebooted Spider Man and they're possibly another Batman. And I mean it's just like, yeah, it just keeps going. And it just keep the people just keep flocking to the movie theaters to see this stuff if it's good. You know if it's good. Well, but that's the thing. I think it. we're even at a genre point where, and we already have uh, survived a few bad movies, and it's like that hasn't killed. The genre, mm-hmm. and in the way that some other bad movies have killed previous genres, but like you said with the western, True. that's been when people say, eh, "I think maybe it's you know time, you know it's just getting oversaturated." I'm like, really? You know, the western lasted like a good seventy years before people are like, "All right, enough with the western. Let's pull back." And even then, it was only a couple years between the decline in the through the seventies and Silverado coming in the eighties and everyone falling in love with Westerns again, at least to the point of them existing and and progressing, not at the same level as they did from the twenties or even the teens through the early seventies into the spaghetti Westerns and the early seventies Westerns. But that's the thing. And the other thing, well, that's the thing though. Those, those things came out, they came out constantly. Yep. I mean, I was a kid then, so I don't know that. But I, I, and I know enough about cinema history that I mean, they were making them like crazy, oh, and they were coming out constantly. Superhero movies do not come out constantly. Now, do we have you know, do we have a few every summer? Yes, but I mean, there 
from what I understand, I mean, they were just pumping out those Western, you know, the spaghetti oh, yeah. Westerns. And, well, and again. Um, so, I mean, it's a completely different thing. I don't know that we've become oversaturated. That said, it does seem like they're, they're the main blockbusters every year are superhero movies. Right. Well, and further, so, um, so. with the Western analogy, they went from being very simple in the silent era because they had to be because of the simplicity of silent mm-hmm. films. But then we got into characterization. Then in the F- in the 50s, they got into anti-hero westerns and different points of view. Mm-hmm. And maybe the bad guy isn't completely bad. And that's and I think we still are, even 20 years in, just flirting with the different things you can do with superhero movies. And Deadpool is a classic example mm-hmm. of that. Guardians is a great example of that. And mm-hmm. And that's the thing. So it's like, no, I really think that there's room to experiment and to innovate still in the superhero films to keep them interesting and fresh. And even Star Trek Discovery, from a basic narrative standpoint, deciding, and at least based on the first two episodes, that we're really with Michael uh, Burnham, the the lead character, rather than an entire crew. And that it's more her story. And I've even, like, a few times thought about, is this, like, Star Trek's Breaking Bad, not in terms of the dysfunction, but in terms of, no, we're following, this. this is the story of one character, in the Star Trek universe. And I might be proven otherwise as we watch the other 13 episodes, but, um, you know, and again, I think the same thing can be said for the comics or the comic book inspired films, that there's still plenty of way, places to go and innovate. God, Legion. Did you watch Legion on right. FX? The, yeah, no, I did not. I did not. Is it's it amazing. And it's really like, oh, oh wow. it's, it's truly, again, <laughs> I mean, like uh, I was talking to Liefeld about the uh, Deadpool movie and he's like, Stan Lee grabbed me by the shoulders and is like, this is a game changer when it comes to the Deadpool movie. And it's like, yeah, it right. was. And the same I would say about Legion. I mean, Legion really, really? Yeah, visually and, okay. and storytelling wise, it, it, and, and truly, hey, A, I hate the X-Men and B, I don't give a shit about Xavier's son that can change reality until I watch this show. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is an incredible character. And uh, no, it's it's amazing. It's so it, you know nine episodes only, so it's so worth watching if you have cable and it's still cool. available on demand. I've kept it on my DVR to rewatch it and everything. And it's it's uh, complicated. Well, I have it uh, the I think I have a, a, the FX okay good app or FX. I'm sure app. it's on yeah, there because I've watched other stuff on it's, there. It's it's uh, complex in the same way that the Prisoner in the '60s was complex. And it really makes yeah, wow, that's yeah. Awesome. I think it it really makes the viewer rewatch things and understand. You know, like I don't know if I caught all that. Let me let me watch. I mean, it demands your attention, and it's yeah, it's great. So you're saying like, so superhero movies maybe have reached or are nearing reaching the limit of the origin story of the unlikely hero yeah. or whatever. But there's plenty of places that they can go thematically. I think so. I totally think so. I mean, yeah. just as we saw in the comics, yeah. in the you know. Uh, in that uh, 80s period and, and on. And uh, that, you know, innovation and, right. and storytelling and characterization. No, and that's the thing, man. It's like, yeah, we're just at the start. I mean, and that's okay because, you right, know, right. for the general audience, you have to introduce them to superhero contrivances and rules about right. storytelling and things that we accept now. But again, they're not used to it. So, no, and I do. I, you no, know. I, I totally, I, I agree with you. Like, I think Logan was a really good you example bet. of that. Like, yeah, which was a fantastic. I actually saw it twice in the movie. And I said, "Yeah, I think I, I'm going to check out Legion." <laughs> See, and that's the thing. And like you said earlier, that you're like, well, you know, they're not coming out in the in the heavy way 
that westerns did at their uh, you know at their apex and everything. But it's like, well, and cheaply made. I mean, oh, there absolutely, really oh, cheaply yeah. made westerns. Yeah, monogram, all those poverty. <laughs> I don't Rose think you studios. could do. I mean, I don't think you could do a cheaply made superhero. Movie. I mean, you could obviously watch YouTube, right? But you know, you can't. They're not releasing really cheaply made, constantly churning them out superhero right. movies. So it's probably not comparable. But in a way, like you said, it kind of is. It's, it's evolving. Well, and also, like I said, or what I was going to say, too, is that, um, you know, every we are getting superhero movies every couple months. And while we're watching the new one that's in theaters, last year's movies are on cable. Again, every, every fall yeah. we've got a new slate of... A dozen comic-inspired TV, yeah, shows. TV shows on the air. <laughs> so, yeah, we're getting a lot, actually. You know? I mean, it's, yeah. you know, but it'll be interesting. And, and also, again, it's interesting, the, the ones that work and the ones that don't, and the reasons why they do or don't work and everything. So, no, I, that's why I wanted to include it in the conversation. I find it fascinating. So... Uh, yeah, definitely. Have I wasted too yeah. much of your time? No, I, yeah, you know, again, first... No, 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 I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally down with this. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I'll tell you the last. Did you like? Um, did you like um, Wonder Woman? Yes, I did very much. The movie, very much. Yeah. The, the only thing it, it still has a little bit of that uh, tough to find sunlight in a in a DC cinematic movie. Um, yeah, but yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, no, I think Patty Jenkins did an incredible job. God, I love Gal Gadot, and she's so perfect, and she oh she hit God. notes of Wonder Woman that came all at the same time because her portrayal is different from Linda Carter's and uh, my friend right. Susan Eisenberg, the animated Wonder Woman on so many of the DC animation projects and stuff, but it works and God, she just hit every note right and she's she seems tough and she seems very formidable and capable, but also sweet and innocent. I mean, yeah, compassionate yes. and caring yep. and like everything that you think about and intelligent yep. and but naive uh, as well. And naive. Yep. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so, yeah, the whole package. Um, yeah, I liked I liked the portrayal. I didn't know that the I don't know that the the movie was perfect, but it was very good. It was yeah. good, and I'm I'm really excited to see see more of that character. Agreed. You and know? also, I'm I'm I am interested in seeing Justice League because I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of the Zack Snyder films. I think that they went in the wrong direction. Uh, having Joss Whedon come in and. We all know that he did shoot ex- extra scenes. He also oversaw the post-production mm-hmm. and the editing. So a lot can change in a film, in the editing room, in post-production, and when you add a different director in different scenes. We know this from history because uh, Superman 2 uh, had uh, basically 50-50 of Richard Donner and David and, uh, and Richard Lester. Uh, and, right. and that, you know, again, the, we now see with the Donner cut the differences between the two films. It, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, you know, I, I always find it this, the same reason why I found AI such an interesting movie. It was a failure, but it was an interesting failure because you could see the Kubrick in the movie and you could see the Spielberg in the movie. Uh-huh. And I and also the same thing right. with this Ron Howard Star Wars film, uh, the Han Solo film. It's going to be interesting to see the Lego guys in their half of the movie and what Ron Howard's bringing to the movie. So very, you know, right, I, think right. that, I think those are interesting. And also even the choices... Of well, in the case of Zack Snyder, obviously, unfortunately, personal problems in the family and stuff kept him from finishing right. the film. Right. But yeah, I, I welcome a Joss Whedon's voice to the DC universe because I think he's gets you know I mean the work on the X Men stuff, obviously the Buffyverse stuff that all speaks to 
knowing storytelling. Good storytelling. Definitely. And I mean, I think that, you know, you, you as successful as the Avengers was, and I mean, really, it was the first bring together all these different heroes onto a yep. team kind of movie and did did so so well and definitely had Joss Whedon's voice in it. I mean, especially if you knew his TV work yep. and, and his comic book writing, you Absolutely. saw, you know, his fingerprints all over it. But yeah, I I the you were talking earlier about the level of trust for certain creators on comic books and I think with a with a team or a movie team up and having seen what, you know, Batman versus Superman was, like I do have a level of trust for Joss Whedon to be touching the Justice League movie. And so yeah, it does it does it's a good feeling to know that he's involved. That said you know, you also walk into it with a little trepidation because, ugh, you know, we've been burnt on some things before. <laughs> Absolutely. So, no, I superhero movies are. You just, I think, part it's worse if you're a comic book fan or you're a fan of the movie because I think it's worse when it's not that good. It's worse for us because we really were rooting yep. for it, or we really had expectations, or we know the characters can be yep. good. Exactly. And I think that's part of it too. Is like somebody who walks into a movie and they go, oh, "Wow, that character just you know isn't any good." Like we're like, "No, <laughs> no, it's a great character." You know. Yeah. So, did Did you feel that way about? Su- we know Justice a Justice League movie could be great. Did you feel that way about Suicide Squad? Because that's the thing. I think the nerds, the, all of us that know how great Suicide Squad could be, went in and said that really sucked. And then there are there were those mainstream non comic fans that are like, "That oh, was all right." And I think that's why it ultimately still made money and did a lot better than I think a lot of us hardcore nerds were, you know, expecting it to do. And it's like, well, you can't argue with people if they liked it. That's fine. But but again, like you said, we yeah. just know how great it can be. And I, I didn't care for the movie. I thought it was a big disappointment. Yeah, I I did. I walked away from it not particularly liking it, but but not hating it either. I mean, I could, I could see the appeal. And I understand why they took Harley Quinn in particular and wanted want to do more with that sure. character. I mean, you know, you can see it from you can see what kind of sticks out from that movie and what people were really uh, more interested in, but and talked about you know online and stuff and the costumes and Halloween, oh you know. God, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can tell what really wowed people about that movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that probably is a good example because. I think a lot of it was, well, you know, it, it could have been better because we know Suicide Squad could be, yes. you know what I mean? Like, it could be yeah. better. So, no, it's, it's, no, exactly. We don't know. I mean, again, that's that's the thing. It's 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 fun to observe what's going on, seeing what the what the mainstream reaction is, seeing what the comics culture reaction is. And uh, honestly, that's that's why I like doing these conversations every now and then with, with you know, people like yourself that, that do observe and you know are consuming this stuff but also thinking beyond what we're getting on the screen in terms of how does this affect the company how does this affect the comics in a positive or negative way and what's you know again how how these how these experiments are are played out ah uh, yeah yeah now, what do you think of uh just constantly new actors playing the same like i mean when yep. when when a character is so big agreed that you can still enjoy a completely different actor in that role, like within 
a very well. It feels like a very short time sure. period, and yet I like I kind of like them both. I like they brought different things, you know, with Spider Man or like, and I know that you know there's a there's a I mean they're going to have to right. reboot right. a lot of the Marvel heroes because they're getting up yep. there in years, right? Well, yes, the actors yep. who play them absolutely. Like, <laughs> no, I had this conversation with Loeb back in in 2015, I think the last time we talked, and I'm just like. What do you do when Robert Downey Jr. is a 60-year-old Tony Stark? Do you hand the role to a new actor when this guy has been Tony Stark for an entire generation of people? It's It works in James Bond. I would argue that it has worked with Batman. Um, it's worked with Spider-Man, right. uh, although we had that middle part with – I didn't think it was Andrew Garfield's fault, but those two movies certainly didn't do as well as the uh, Sam Raimi, Tommy McGuire movies. And again, I love Tom Holland. I think he's terrific as the new Spider-Man, but it's going to, it will be interesting to watch, you know, yeah. Do you, do you reboot or do you just do like the Bond movies and just keep going? And okay, Chris Evans isn't Captain America. Now uh, it's Bradley Cooper or it's somebody younger. It most likely would be somebody younger. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Good blue eyed. Do, do, do you continue? Right, and there's a choice between do you continue the current continuity or or make a yeah. new one like they have done with the Spider-Man movies. So so does Tony Stark say, well, I'm going to you know sit in the tower and here I'm going to give this to my niece. Sure, or, you know, yeah, or, or, yeah, Riri Williams. Maybe she's the next lover or nephew yeah, or whatever. Yeah, or yeah, you know, you... or do you just completely start over? Like, or, or do you do? I don't know. Well, that's. Like what Star Trek did, like somebody goes through a wormhole and it's a whole new right. Well, <laughs> did you not like that solution in terms of it being an alternate universe? No, I liked it. Okay, I don't know. I, 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 I just, you know, I'm an old fart. Well, when it comes to well we're both old farts, and that's okay. And but no, you know, I'll tell you what I didn't like about the JJ verse. I think Zachary Quinto is a horrible Mister Spock. I don't, I don't Aww. like that they. Well, hey man, he's a great. He's a great actor, and I had the pleasure of meeting him about 10 years ago in Orlando when he was still doing Heroes, and I think he's a tremendous actor, truly. It's not his fault. It's much like my problems with the various James Bond films that have failed. I, don't think, I never think it's the actor's fault. I think it comes down to the script and the direction. And giving Spock emotions in these, in these movies right. invalidates the character, and he disappears. And now, I, and I now McCoy it, right. wins. I, I, that's the problem is that they they it's a different character. So there's just this huge part of me that every time the character is a little bit different than the character I know, I just this this I say huge yep. part. And it, 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 I wince. I'm like, so I can't. It's hard for me to enjoy the movies. I'm thrilled that they're bringing these characters to a yep. new set of people, a new generation. I'm, that's great, but. You just when you you love a character so much, or you love a situation so much, or you love the way it happened the first time so much, it's very hard to sit through it happening a little bit differently than the next time with characters that you don't. Rec- I mean, just things happen, and you say that's that you know he wouldn't do that kind of right. thing. And um, I don't know. There was also some plot holes here oh, and there definitely. that I felt like were huge. Well, and again, too much fan service. Okay, Kirk's dying, so I'm going to take blood from a Tribble, and that's going to save Kirk. It's, right, fuck right. you. Give me a break. Oh, my God. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. And evil, yeah. And, and, but, but this was, uh, that, that's the other thing is that 
like, as if you completely walk away and you never, if I had never seen any of the TV shows and I watched the movie, I wouldn't even probably have had a problem with the right. plot holes that much because I watch movies all the time that have plot holes. So I said, eh, don't, right. don't, you know, sweat I don't it. worry about yeah, that. Don't that sweat much. it. Keep going. But, uh, you know, those TV shows, not maybe not the originals, <laughs> but so many of them, you know, the uh, Paramount TV ones, like the Deep Space Nines and everything, they they didn't have plot holes. Like, they they filled that stuff, and they explained things. And, like, so you had, I don't know if I have too much of an expectation of an, an intelligence behind these movies that I want applied to Star Trek more than, you know, Iron Man or whatever. I could not agree. I have like an expectation. So to me, I don't know. The reboot kind of disappointed me, but I'm not a, a fan of it. But I mean, I, I, you know, I see the good, I see the bad. I hear you. Well, and honestly, the good is the good is that people are getting to get to know James T. Kirk. I would agree with that. But and it's funny because back to quickly back to Discovery. I hate the way they're portraying Sarek. I don't. I I don't. I I like the actor, and again, it's not his fault. It's the it's the material they're given. But I just think that um, right. he's too emotional and he isn't consistent with the right. Mark Lennard depiction of Sarah or even, or even Ben Cross in the J.J. movies. And I also think that their right. declaration that, oh, no, 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 this is in the Prime universe. This is in the original series and all the Paramount shows universe. It's not in the J.J. verse. They've made that declaration, yet it looks like the J.J. movies. And again, there are these uh-huh. these you know differences in character approach. That again, it, uh, the other thing that drives me nuts, and uh, if if I may, a final comment on Star Trek Discovery is too much fans. <laughs> You're definitely into this. Oh, I love honestly. You, I, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I, I I always say if they made a show called Star Trek Klingon Latrine Cleaning, I would be watching every week. I wouldn't care. Bring, when does it start? Uh, you know. So all that said, when uh, I don't like that they made Sarek a character in this show. Because the, the the spinoff shows, William Riker did not have to be James Kirk's grandson to be interesting, and I also and so right. so there's I I don't mind that Michael Burnham the the main character was raised on Vulcan, but I'm like so Sarek is literally the only Vulcan that thinks human, humans are worth yeah. anything, and I'm like that's like saying Martin Luther King was the only civil rights leader. And it is that kind of like right, right. You're 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 contracting science fiction instead of what you should be doing with science science fiction, and that is expanding the ideas. And again, I don't know if it's right. that weird rights thing that's going on. I don't I don't understand why it's another prequel and not uh, let's move forward. There, I think there are really interesting stories to be explored in the post television series and even the beginning of Star Trek, uh, the J.J. The Abrams movie, where, okay, Romulus is destroyed, so the Romulans have no home planet. Um, right. All the terrible things that happened during the Dominion War in Deep Space Nine and opening up the Delta Quadrant and Voyager and stuff, it's like there's a huge galaxy to still go through and let's push the story forward and also have the opportunity of, hey, what's Admiral Janeway doing these days? What's Admiral Riker doing these days? What's Ambassador Worf doing? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. See, there you go. <laughs> and and it's so it, – it just doesn't make sense. It's like why don't you – that's how you pay back the fans is is have – you know. That, right. and again, obviously it's easy for us to armchair and say, well, that's obvious and that's simple. There's got to be some sort of weird Bean County thing. I hear Les Moonves, the head of CBS, isn't a Star Trek person at all. 
gets confused with Star Trek and Star Wars. Which one are we talking about? Literally that kind of conversation. Oh my so God. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah, and that never helps. And it's happened before at the you know Paramount during the TV series days, where if you don't have somebody in the head chair that likes this stuff, it's just so ridiculous because you see what's going on with Star Wars, and it's and also the financial jeopardy that Paramount itself is in. And it's like, well, we got something like that. How come we're not cranking that stuff out? Why isn't there an animated Star Trek series? Why isn't all this stuff being open? And apparently J.J. Abrams suggested, hey, I want to do all this stuff. And CBS is like, or Paramount, whoever owns the rights, are like, no, 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 that's too much. And no, you can't go into that. No, you got to kind of... And I had heard that the idea of an alternate universe was created to, again, keep the other versions of Star Trek away from JJ and that okay no you do your own thing but we're going to we're going to kind of hang on to that stuff. Also I had heard that JJ wanted the old stuff vaulted in the same way that they vault Disney movies. Which I think is crazy and interesting and I don't know if that's true or not but that's another one of those rumors you hear. And as a Disney person I know you'd appreciate that. No, no, I totally understand what that you know what that means, and that's that is not a good idea. But uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You would, I don't know, you know that it does seem like they're not taking advantage of the Star Trek fandom yeah. because believe me, there's a Star Trek fandom out there, uh, which it probably is aging. Uh, speaking of thirty something or whatever, you know, but. Uh, Gosh, I would love to be able to really get my kids into Star Trek and the whole mythology, but I can't. All I have are those movies. I, did, really. I agree. No, I'm I mean, laughing because it, I agree know? with you, and I have uh, I have twenty something <laughs> nephews. Well, the youngest twenty something nephew. When uh, for a little while I was living with my sister and the two boys and stuff. And I'm watching Star Trek, and the youngest one, he was like eleven, and he's like, "I hate Star Trek." And I'm like, "Why?" I'm like, "Space," and he goes. <laughs> All they do is they talk, and let's go in this room and talk, and then they meet these other aliens, and then you figure they're going to finally shoot somebody. Now let's sit down and talk. It's like, and I'm pounding the floor laughing. But that's real. It's but it's real. It's real. It's intelligent and Agreed. it's real. I'm sorry, Agreed. but you know, people. Well, and we were little kids, and we got into it. I'm not going to put down the reboot. No, but I, but again, we were little kids, and we were watching the original series, and and or at least I was. I don't, we so, were. Yeah. I mean, it, and that's why it was fine. Well, but and I remember in college, we had like huge groups of people sitting around, like, "Oh, yep. next generation's yep. coming on! Everybody, come yep. on in!" So, and I mean, uh, all you know, guys, girls, everything in between. I mean, we're just everybody was interested in it. So it's not. I, agree. I don't know. I, it, it's sad if really they need all the you know guns and battles and constant fighting to come on the guy in the red shirt is going to die it's, 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 that's not entertaining i don't know what is no i agree with that or her kissing another green woman you know absolutely we're all for it that's right oh my god you're killing it no but they're right and, and you know um i i just i i still they have that commercial what is it it's uh oh uh mark Wal isn't it mark Wahlberg? and then and he then, turns into um, patrick stewart the mirror image. He turns into Patrick Stewart, and it, and then Patrick Stewart stands, turns around, and he's like, you know, I'm better looking or something. I I totally, he is better looking. <laughs> he is John McPugart, and I love him. I love him, and I'm sorry, but I just get turned on by someone who can sit in a room and negotiate and outsmart I somebody, hear. and that's who John Luke was. You know, he was not. He didn't go out. Now, granted, I love I love James King Kirk too. You know, his punching and rolling around in the 
the desert on some planet and, and getting the green girl and everything. But I don't know that they had both. They had a little bit of both. No, you know? I absolutely agree. And I, and I and, think I appreciate the intellectual exercise that Star Trek always asks. And I think, uh, did you read, mm-hmm. uh, there's two books that came out, uh, in the last year during the 50th anniversary. And it was called the five year or the 50 year mission. And they were no, but I now I will. I love Star Trek. Well, well they're they're uh, they're oral histories of the behind the scenes stuff, and they oh they're wow amazing. okay. I thought it was a it was a fictional book, yeah. You yeah, set in the fictional universe, which I I, I oh, love. I those, love those but... too, and I no, I'm a huge fan of the novels and the yeah. com- and also by the way, IDW do an amazing job, I think, with the comics. They're I agree. absolutely well. The 50 year mission, Very they good. really get into. Roddenberry's uh, dictates that well you know in the future we're all at peace on earth and the conflict can come from the other planets but I don't want the earth people in conflict and that was interesting and a real writer's challenge for the next generation to try and make stories where everyone was in agreement and you know uh, again the conflict came from the planet and that's why if you remember during Deep Space Nine they did change things up and uh, even Major Roddenberry is like, well, you know, Gene probably wouldn't approve of what you're doing. But that said, uh, Deep Space right. Nine was fantastic because of that and all the conflict. And we know the right. basics of storytelling. You need conflict for good storytelling. But I, you got to applaud right. the way Next Generation was able to work, you know, with that edict pretty strong. I mean, and that's the thing. That's what comes out of these behind-the-scenes conversations with the, the various writers and producers is – Rick Berman is like, well, no, that's Gene's way. And even after Gene died, it's like, no, that's what makes Star Trek is Gene's belief on how Star Trek works. And he pretty much adhered to it until people like Iris Stephen Bear at Deep Space Nine and Michael Piller and, uh, and, and, you know, to a degree as well on Voyager, where they finally were able to break three. And the best example is Enterprise, where they just felt like for the first three seasons, or at least the first two seasons... They were just, you know, going over the same stories over and over again. Then you had the Zindi War, but even better, that fourth season where it's like they were fighting to survive. And I think their storytelling really took off and went into really interesting ways and honored the history of Star Trek, but doing it in a way that didn't change anything in a bad way and still like it didn't. You know, erase continuity. So that's why this Discovery show is fascinating. And I and honestly, I, I look forward to watching it throughout. And I hope I enjoy it as much as I did the first two episodes. And we'll, we'll see. Well, I think that's one of the cool things about Star Trek too is that, and I, I think in this day and age, because everybody's talking about it nowadays, is this hope for humanity because it, you know, it feels like the world is so divided. Yeah. And I know a lot of it's just, uh, you know, you go out on the streets, people aren't as divided in person, but in the media, it feels like everyone's so divided or on social media. Um, but, uh, and it certainly is bleeding over into a lot of the comic books we're reading, this, this idea of, of uh, you know, the future of yep. humanity or, or, or the earth. So it's really cool that, you know, Gene had that, like, no, no, humanity is the... You know they're 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 we'll at peace. There. They've overcome. Yeah, all this we'll eventually crap. get there. Well, <laughs> and I and I appreciate that from an inspirational standpoint. But I I hate to feel pessimistic, but it's like I don't know. I just think in in the end, uh, there's a lot of very base human emotions that I think will always be with us. And yes, we should rise above them, and hopefully in in general we do. But there's always just going to be a few assholes out there that are either selfish or or mean. <laughs> You know, that, that it's going to, it's, you know, again, on a very one-to-one level, might still screw things up. And I, 
you know, I you know, I hope that next year, uh, I don't know if this is going to be part of your conversation or at the end of this year, if you come back to these conversations with retailers, obviously, and it's something we talked a little bit about off the air. But you know, there is a culture war going on within comics right now too, and and you know that's yeah. that you know again, it's it's uh, from an observational standpoint, it's very interesting to watch. It's sad in a lot of ways because I think. There are torchbearers. I always, it's like Frankenstein when the villagers come with the torches, and it's not just, I disagree with the way you're writing this comic book, but it's like, you need to leave the business. And not only should I, will I not support your product, but you shouldn't be allowed to be writing comics anymore. And I think that's a little too far. Yeah, no, the the politics of, the, yeah, well, and social media just kind of ramps, yeah. like it amps yeah. it up, you know, it it, it, it brings it to a, a fever pitch. And those many, many comic book fans who don't even interact on Twitter or Facebook or whatever with the industry, but just enjoy their comic books, have no idea that that's going on. But there is there are people being very reactionary and you have to apologize for that. And, Oh, I'm sorry I did it. And you're going to lose your job. And it's, it's kind of crazy to to watch that stuff. I, you know, I don't get involved in any of it. And I know you don't really either. In fact, sometimes we've accidentally stepped our toe into it, not even realizing it. Oh my gosh. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, I, I think, uh, I hope that that's no, I, 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 I completely hope that that's not, and it doesn't seem like it's the core of the comic book industry. It seems like it's just this kind of fringe thing that, that goes on. It's I don't allowed, know. No, it's, and again, social media amplifies, I think the voices that get that extreme on, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, God, I, again, I feel like an asshole because I, you know, I don't want this misconstrued, but like, you know, Trump said on both sides, and I don't mean it in terms of equating hate to a response to hate. Right. I mean that, again, something pisses off one side, whether you're a liberal or a conservative. And, again, it's not only it, – it never it usually never reaches the level of violence that we've seen lately in you know places like Charlottesville and Boston and places like that. But all that said, um, you know, it does get loud, and I disagree with what this comic book is talking about. And again, this person needs to go away. And I have seen that happen on both the liberal and right. conservative side. And it's not it. It's yeah. I it it it, it bothers me. And some creators put themselves on the line uh, by being so loud on social media with their views. Um, I don't know. I'm shrugging. And again, like we said, well, and I, I think sometimes even things get misconstrued or things get seen as offensive that probably weren't meant to yes. be. And, and then there's just this pile on mentality, and uh, yeah, it's 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 very strange. But it it is part. It is definitely a social. It's a social media yeah. thing. It is, and it's part. You're right that it's reflective of the culture as a whole. Because you you mentioned Charlottesville and you mentioned Trump, and because I feel like you know you look at. I mean, I think right now with the stupid NFL yeah. thing. Like, it's a terrible example. Well, no, actually, it's a perfect example because neither side is listening to the other. You know, it's just completely, they cannot hear each other. And it's over, you know, something where I think on the core of the problem, I think they would both agree. 
but they're just so like one side sees this side as as doing this and and just you know they need to be fired they need to be whatever and it's definitely something that you see in the comic book industry people are so reactionary i don't know is it just it's something that has either grown because of social media or what do you I think, think it is. I think it's that simple. You're, you're pointing out. I honestly have not thought this through. You're, you're getting my brain going, and and um, because I've seen it in, in 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 the comic book industry, and I've definitely seen it growing within growing within the last ten to fifteen I, years, and it's 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 got to be I social media, right? That people are more reactionary. Yep. They're more offended. They're more outraged. Well, and also further, they've got a platform where there are no filters to keep them from saying what they want. This is a lot different than the letters page back in the day with comics when, you know, you might get a slightly, I didn't like that issue. I, you know, it was great. I loved reading uh, Jack Kirby's letter pages when he was doing the war books at DC, like the losers and stuff like that. And, they had negative letters of I don't like the way Kirby's doing this. I don't, you know I disagree or whatever. And it wasn't anything as as uh, volatile as, as some of the stuff today. But again, edit- you know publishers could obviously control what letters they put on the letters page in that. And you also had uh, Amazing Heroes and Comics Journal and other places where letters from readers would come. But now you know I mean Twitter and Facebook and and all the other platforms are in your face. And suddenly Vader twenty eight has not only a platform, but, you know, thousands of followers. And again, there's that uh, I am Spartacus mentality where people just jump in and go, I agree. And by the way, yes, he should be fired. You know, and and it's like, well, where where did you 25 people come from? I was just talking to Vader 28. I was just going to say, there's some poor slob that actually has Vader 28 (laughs) as their username. (laughs) You've completely labeled him as a friend. He always talks about me. I don't even know who this guy is. That's so funny. You're right. That is that's my short. That's my shorthand for anyone who hides behind an avatar and isn't willing to say I'm Sam Jones. And I. And there, and by the way, I'm not. No, no offense to Flash Gordon, Sam Jones. But uh, you know. But yeah, you know, I disagree, and I don't. You know, I don't want these things to happen because that's the thing. I think there's there are people that hide behind pseudonyms on social media, create a, uh, an online persona for themselves that seems very powerful. And then you you pull the curtain and it's like oh yeah. all right it's just it's just another reader it's just a guy that you know yeah he has this opinion well I, I, well I was just gonna say it's, it's also it's not only a virtual person that you're kind of creating online but it's almost a virtual problem yes. you know what I mean like it's not a real like a real problem Great. I mean okay so I'm not enjoying my comics but maybe that is a problem but this one character did this one thing and and, and you're going to try and get all your friends on Twitter to just harass the heck out of the writer who did it to this one it's not it's really and you get all like they get so emotionally invested and then like the creator gets so emotionally invested and uh, and it's all over this thing that's not a real that's yep. <laughs> not really again i don't mean to minimize someone who you know really cares about a character i i, I care about characters and there's been times when they have been written well and it, certainly i get up you know i'm not happy about it and i get upset about it but this just it just seems like people have become so outraged or their their level of emotional investment even time investment because they spend so much time online talking about it or like, it's just way higher than that 
issue deserves. And like I said, that's, that's exactly what goes on with whatever the outrage of the yep. day is. It seems like there's like an outrage of the week. No question. You know, everybody's talking about this quote unquote controversy and it's, it's not even meaningful. And two weeks later, nobody cares yep. anymore. Uh, you know, 100%. yeah. Do you remember uh, James Gunn got all that grief mm-hmm. about a blog he made when he was making the film super. And he just did this kind of like bad roast comedy style rant of the 50 superheroes and villains he wanted to have sex with. Uh, and they were villains and they were men and women and everybody was up in arms and let's get a petition. This guy doesn't deserve to direct Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, two movies later, I, I think James Gunn is doing just fine. And yeah, where's what happened to that outrage? What happened to the torchbearers? Where where are the villagers? How come they're not storming Frankenstein's castle like they did, uh, you know, two years ago or whatever? It's you're right. It's chewing gum, and it's on to the next uh, outrage. So it's it, again fascinating to watch, especially for you know you and I who have you know kind of gone through these you know being being a fan or not a fan of of the way they've depicted characters over a couple decades and stuff. And it's like I don't care. Fine. Any year from now, there'll be a new creative team, and somebody else will uh, mess with Bizarro and make make a different story. Okay, no problem. Yeah, it's it's it is. It's pretty yeah. crazy. And and my, you know, my gut level, like I I just want to, I don't know, confront these people and say, really, <laughs> like it. I don't know. It, it, if you okay, so are you saying that you care about? I don't know whatever the issue is, you know, let's the, uh, the transgender people. Okay. So what are you doing to help transgender people, you know, in your real life, you know, not, not the Twitter life where you just have an avatar and you aren't a real person and it's not even a real problem because it's a character in a comic or whatever, but what are you doing in your real life or, or poverty in the black community? You know, like, are you volunteering? You know, are you going and talking? You know, do you even get out of your house? You know, <laughs> they're making like the problem that they're allegedly representing in this virtual world over these fictional things like they're not even the real problem exists out there and you doing all these things and getting so emotionally invested and getting so outraged is doing absolutely no good for that problem like it's not doing anything for that you know what i mean absolutely like i don't yeah that's that's like that's my gut reaction, but boy, we really got off the topic. Yeah, yeah you know, I understand. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, I, not that it's not important. You know, people say, well, it's important that these certain characters are represented right, or this problem is represented correctly. But I don't know. There's the level of outrage. I really think it is a social media thing. I think it's. I think it's kind of the. I wonder will it get worse? You know, as we more, as we're more plugged in, and more temporary. Yeah. Even more well, temporary. It, you know, I mean, there there are innocent... Like, it would be the outrage of the hour. <laughs> for men, and maybe we are going that way, and, may, you know, that's the thing. We might already... Nobody's driving, and guess what? We got a long stretch of highway left with nobody driving in the front seat. I, I don't know. I don't know. Because, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, I, think, I think that there have been some stories that have been misconstrued as, well, you're offending this segment of people. And it's like, really? All I was... I mean, the, the, I've heard the transgender community get upset with... Like um, uh, Justice League 3000, when uh, uh, J.M. DeMattis was uh, put put oh. a woman's or uh, Guy Gardner's mind or, or his DNA in a woman's body, and transgender people got really mm-hmm. upset. And it's like, wow, I was just thinking like mind swapping, like we used to see in science, sci- exactly, science fiction mind swapping right. that 
has and in fact there was the Michelle Rodriguez movie uh in the last year or two and I forget who directed it where um I believe a man's mind is put in a woman's body and um it's shame on me for not remembering more of the details well and to be fair uh Justice League 3000 was all about like cloning the DNA right. but putting different I mean it was all about that like I don't. I, they weren't clones. Well, what were they? they I don't they, even remember now. Like they rebuilt them around. They were like symbiotes. Exactly. Around, yeah, they were human. Like they take a person and implant the DNA. Right. The DNA from the the twenty first century versions of the Justice League into these human bodies, and for right. the most part, they worked. So that's but, what it was but, all yeah, about. There was one that kind of didn't work, and suddenly the transgender people said, "Hey, that's you know she she's she's one of us." And Jam's like, God, I, I right. wasn't even thinking that. And I, I, that, I, it right. was, certainly wasn't my intention to offend. But by the same token, it, it wasn't in my mind that that's what I was creating. And, you know, it's happened with some other characters as well. And it's, it's tough. It's really, really tough. And again, I, I, I appreciate the, the want and desire to be represented. And I think it's important that we, the real world is reflected mm-hmm. in comics. I think it's a very positive thing. That when that happens, but yeah, but yeah, I, I think also yeah, I just think yeah. that that there are some people that again, art hits you in a certain way. I'm kind of shrugging and saying it's not their fault either because uh, art will hit you and it's you know, hey, wait a minute, I see myself in that. In the same way that some people are like, hey, right. when you yell about Trump, you're yelling about me, and it's like, really, I wasn't yelling about you. You're the milkman. I'm not, I don't think you're right. a jerk. I think you're yeah. a very nice yeah. person. I don't. You know, I didn't know how you voted, but you're suddenly <laughs> taking offense to the way I voted. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I, Right. It's the outrage. (laughs) Outrage of the day. Yeah, yeah. That said, speaking of representation, where are the empty nesters in comics? Atta girl. (laughs) Yeah. I understand. Yeah, I'm not going to hold my breath for that one. You know, honestly, that was kind of why I was bummed that uh, they de-aged the Justice Society for a minute with Earth 2. Oh, I know. That's true. That's because true. Because they, they, you know, honestly, I, man, uh, Jeff and James Robinson and Goyer and all those guys that were part of that JSA run, mm-hmm. there was a really good reason to have a, a senior set of heroes, not only to inspire the kids, but also to show, like, you know, it was a good opportunity to be like, all right, so what happens to the over 40 uh, superhero and then over 50 and over yeah, 60 and yeah. stuff? And yeah, I mean, and I again, I think that's... Uh, a, a place that can be explored. I'm looking forward to Miller, Mark Miller's uh, Starlight, because that that story in particular was about like Flash Gordon as a senior citizen suddenly like, you know, 30 years later after his prime suddenly being like, hey, guess what? That planet screwed up again. You got to come back. And 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 how does yeah. how does the senior citizen Flash Gordon deal with an alien you know uprising and stuff? And and I thought I loved that story. I thought it was fantastic and it's so like. Waiting for, uh, and Jesus, now I'm I'm uh, blanking on his name. Uh, uh, what's his face from all the you know the, the, the Qui Gon from the Star Star Wars films, the actor. Oh, um, I know. Oh shoot, Qui Gon Jinn. Yeah. Uh, I exactly, can't the Irish guy. Let me tell you. <laughs> if I find you, I will kill you. I can't see his face. I, I can hear his accent. <laughs> no shit. And right um, now, all the listeners are like, he has a particular, ass. he has a particular set of uh, of skills, exactly. right? 
<laughs> exactly right. I'm looking up his name so that everyone can stop yelling at us right now. You idiots! A particular set of skills. So take it. Liam Neeson. I didn't, I will thank God, I didn't even have to finish. I will kill Liam you. Neeson, ladies and gentlemen. Of course I we're talking about Liam Neeson. Yeah. We're, we're, we're tired and we've got brain farts happening right now, so you'll, you'll forgive us. But yes, Liam Neeson would be great. I, I don't want Bruce Willis to play that role. I want it to be Liam Neeson. It's got to be somebody a little more dashing than Bruce Willis. Should they make, uh, and I hope that Netflix makes Starlight into a miniseries or a film. I'm all for it. Well, you know, I do think uh, the JSA is coming back. Yes. I mean, yeah, I would sure. agree. I would agree. How's our so, buddy Jeff Johns? I'm assuming you've talked to him more recently than I have. I haven't talked to him in a while, but my goodness, does he have his hands in everything? Yeah, <laughs> and that's why I, I understand. He's, he is, you know, Heath Corson told me about, like, trying to get into a meeting with him about one of the animated movies that he was writing. And he said, like, literally, he's like a dozen times it was somebody walking in with a toy or a call. Hey, we need this, you know, note on a movie or a TV show. And he said, no, his, you know, he is, he is everywhere. And that's good because, you know, he, he gets it. As far as, you know, understanding why these heroes and, and stories work. So, you know, I hope he's okay. Well, you know, I, I, I think his first movie that really he had the influence when he, he became more of, uh, had, you know, was given a position to have more influence on the movies. Pretty sure the first one that has come out is Wonder Woman. Really? It's taken that Where he had a little more It's influence. taken that long. That's amazing. Yeah, I think so. If you go back on on you know what when he came in and you look at what was going on at the time they were just starting up production on Wonder Woman. Interesting. Or even be, I think it was before that a little bit because I think he even worked on that script a little bit before it went even even went into production. So yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that was the that's the first one we've seen that he had any kind of influence. Well, that's on. interesting. Before that, he was more of like a consultant. He wasn't a big guy. He had big guys over. Sure. You know what I mean? But um, but I thought it was pretty good. So that we were talking about hope. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. I understand. Did you have a chance to talk to Heinberg about uh, the movie? Neither I did not. And I, and I love Alan. He's he's great. And I was just wondering because, you know, he's like, and I, and I get it. I think the nondisclosure agreements are, you know, tighter than ever. And sometimes might even last uh, beyond the production and release of a film. So, and maybe maybe he's already tied into the sequel. I have no idea. But I'm like, oh, dude, I'd love to talk to you about the experience. He's like, yeah, I can't. And he goes, you're awesome, but I can't. Particularly since we're coming at it from, I mean, we can talk to him about the comic book. Exactly. You know, which I know it, 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 it had all kinds of like delay problems. So it really ruined the momentum of what he was doing in that comic book. But he, he clearly brought back some some things that had been missing from, Absolutely. you know, Wonder Woman mythos and kind of changed things a little bit. And I think some of that got brought into the film, but I think a lot of sensibilities even from other runs got brought in. As well. I don't think, like, I didn't watch that and I wouldn't go, oh, this is Heinberg's run, because I didn't feel like it was Agreed. at all. But, um, but, but his run showed, his comic book run showed that, you know, he really he really loved Wonder Woman and knew Wonder Woman and, and was interested in exploring different things about her. So I, I assume that he brought a lot of it with him when he put together. Yeah, I script. think so too. No, I absolutely think so. So I, uh, you know, I'm I'm. What are you, are you hearing anything about the Doomsday Clock? Well, I mean, that you can speak about. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah, I'm hearing some stuff. But, I mean, I think a lot of it is out there. I mean, I think we know... Well, we were talking about hope versus pessimism. That's what it's all about. Interesting. And it, I mean, that's what it is. And it's a, it's a very much a reaction to to what was going on in the election and everything. It didn't. I don't think it started out that when he first came up with the idea, it wasn't necessarily going to be that. But when he was really sitting down and plotting it and coming up with the script, was when all that negativity was being thrown about. And uh, and and that's what it became. And I think. I think you're seeing that now. In fact, I know you're seeing that now. I talked to James mm-hmm. Tynan. Um, I don't remember when I talked to him, like Friday or Monday or I think it was Monday. Boy, the days are bleeding together. But um, his Detective Comics um, story right now with um, uh, Tim Drake, right? He's in that uh, prison, the Mr. Oz jor yes. prison. This, uh, you know, these are spoilers. Well, they revealed to <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Today, okay. I, yeah. But anyway, it's uh, it, he's um, he the whole storyline. I won't I won't like spoil everything about the storyline. Although it's it's in a story. I think that it, it ran today at my interview with him. So so it's out there. But it's it's um, it's very much about hope hope you know or or um, optimism probably is the better optimism for humanity versus pessimism because in today's issue uh tim comes across in the prison that he's in he comes across a future version of himself who is more of a pessimist Interesting. and this is a tim this is a tim that has become batman i don't know if you remember from jeff john's run on i absolutely do and that was a batman that had a gun and absolutely it was a very dissolute it was a batman disillusioned that had a gun. Tim, tim drake absolutely Exactly. So that's who he's dealing with right now, and that's who he's going to be dealing with in the storyline wow. going forward. So um, he's it's it's young optimist Tim versus sort of versus. I don't know that they're fighting, but they're they're at odds. I think actually actually at one point they are literally you know fighting because they're going after uh, he the elder one is going after something that Tim doesn't want him to get to. But he's um, he's the pessimist, sure. right? And then in in Action Comics, Action Comics came out today. Um, the next issue that explains Jor-El. how Jor-El became Mr. Oz. And what was done to him, we believe it was Dr. Manhattan that did it to him, although I'm I'm still not convinced this is only Dr. Manhattan <laughs> doing all this stuff. But what was done to Jor-El was he was grabbed at the moment that Krypton uh, mm-hmm. was destroyed, and he was sent to earth and he was made to experience and to watch terrible things from throughout humanity that made him believe there's no hope for wow. humanity. Totally. That, yeah. Totally right? changed his view. So, Interesting. Totally changed his view. So now he's saying to Superman, his son, he's saying, Cal, I'm sorry. I made a huge mistake sending you here. These people, there's no way, you know, there's no redemption for them. Let's go. Let's wow. get out of here. I apologize. Sent you oh, the wrong great. place. And of course, Superman's like, well, wait, I still have hope for sure. humanity. I still have hope for humanity. And Jor-El's saying, how can you have hope? You know, like, and he sat and watched, you know, he watched the Nazis and he watched all, right, the uh, you know, all these other stuff. Yes. So, so, and then at Doomsday Clock is, is supposed to be 
Dr. Manhattan, the pessimist versus Superman, the optimist. So this theme is going to be flowing throughout, and we talked about it earlier. Do we have hope for humanity? Is this going? This divisiveness that we see is it? Is it? You said there's an, a certain element in humanity. It's always going to be there. Well, that stinks. It does. You know, well, or are or or is Gene Roddenberry's vision really? Well, I like I'll. I'll do, can we have Kate's hope for Kirk in the original series? We're killers, but we choose not to kill today, and that's that's the thing. Is no, that's the, the there's the base of humanity, but we always should reach and aspire to be better than our base instincts. And and yeah, you might hate that guy across the street, but you really you know don't kill him and don't don't wish him that much ill. Maybe there's enough room on both sides of the street to live your lives and not and not be jerks to each other. And that's you know. <laughs> It's the simpler version. But yeah, and also, God, I loved in the Justice League cartoon when they went to the Justice Lords Earth and and that, oh, and that yeah. wonderful Kevin Conroy conversation between the Batmen in terms of, you know, God, this is this is order. We've got it controlled. And and just, you know, our our Batman going, when one mom and dad be pleased with what you're doing. And it's just that great knowing yourself. <laughs> And that's why the Tim Drake conversation is so intriguing because, yeah, it's like that's the thing. And it's it's both sides of our it's the ego and the id and which one is which one is right. And Mm -hmm. really, maybe it is the combination that becomes the superego if that's how it works. Shame on me. My psych 101 class is failing me. Uh, But, yeah, you know, (laughs) you know, or or the two evil Kirk and 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 passive Kirk and the enemy within from the first season Mm -hmm. of the original series. No, you need both, man. You need to. You need to reconcile that within yourself and, and, and strive to be better. And that's great. That's a that's a classic conflict to explore. And I think, again, that's why, you know, because it, it's like, oh, man, they're using Watchmen. And, of course, your, your gene kicks in of, oh, poor, De-, you know, Alan Moore once again. You know, he's that. I always say Alan Moore is that guy, uh, th- that true. guy that got divorced <laughs> and the wife got to keep the cool house with the amazing <laughs> swimming pool. And everyone's playing in the swimming pool. And every time anyone sees Alan Moore, it's like, hey, man, I was at your old house the other day. We were having the best time in your swimming pool. And it's like, (laughs) how does that not make Alan Moore just be like, yeah, fuck you. (laughs) Please stop talking about my swimming pool. No, worse. Worse. It's the guy. He designed the swimming pool. And they had a really cool design for it. And she ripped it up and changed oh, it. <laughs> and everyone's playing in it. You know what I mean? Because I think that's really, like, he, you know, he had a definitive beginning and a definitive yeah. end. And now, yeah, DC's like, well, we're going to put, you know, a coda and a prequel and a I saw other Dave. things. So, yeah, I don't, I have no clue. I have no clue how this fits in to Watchmen. I, Jeff has said, it's not a sequel. It's not a, and I think he's also said it's not a prequel. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I well, don't quite maybe. understand it, but I do get the sense. I get the sense that it's, you know, the real, like, can, can they, can they, not only can the heroes of the DCU stay convinced that there is hope for humanity, but maybe even convince Dr. Manhattan. or overcome somehow the, the pessimism of Dr. Manhattan or whoever else right. is involved. Like that's, that's what it's going to come down to as cheesy as that sounds. I bet Jeff will do it in a way that'll give you goosebumps, oh, totally. you know, and somehow it'll, 
somehow it'll come to come on, as, as a flash as a flash but, yeah. fan when you read that first issue of rebirth i mean honestly i i every time i look at it and i and i and i think about it i almost choke up but when when barry you know grabs wally from the speed force and brings him back and he's just like wally how and just how how exactly. could i forget oh my god yeah. and and the, uh. exactly oh i hear you no and it's you know that's the beauty of comics, man. It was like DC. It was like the DC executive story. How could we yep. forget? Well, I don't know. It was like, finally, exactly. thank you. No, 100%. And no. another example yeah. on Marvel's side was, which I loved, the tragedy of the early issues of the Winter Soldier story. When Cap is like, oh, my God, oh. it's my best friend and he's back. And he doesn't even know how important oh. we are to each other. Yeah. And it, and I, I remember telling Brubaker, I'm like, this is beautiful, man. I'm like, you guys are like totally pulling on our heartstrings in terms of these two brothers that love each other and everything. And they're just like, you know, he, I can't get through to my brother that I'm, you know, don't worry. I'm your friend. We we're you know, I'm going to, I can make it, I can make it okay again. And it, it, you know, again, he just didn't know. And it was, you know, it was great. And it played out amazingly. So yeah, no, that's the cool stuff. It was, it was. And, and somehow translated so well. I thought that translated really well. Agreed. So, Absolutely. Yes. Like, I saw it in my, I saw it in other people's eyes, like my, you know, my kids' eyes. Like I saw them, they oh, understood. you know, they, yeah, they felt it. it. They really they felt it. it. That's cool. No, that's great. It. And again, yeah. a lot of it really was yeah. just subtext. And I also laughed when it was, Cap needs a boyfriend. And it's like, oh, they, you know, you know, men can really love each other without <laughs> needing to physically love each other. And and can you can have love on a brotherly <laughs> standpoint without it actually needing to be, you know. Uh, uh, an intimate relationship, yeah. that kind of love. But whatever. Okay. Again, yeah, art is in the eye of the beholder. I understand, and it's it's fine if that's what you got from it. Awesome. So, what are you gonna? You know, I'm shrugging. Exactly, <laughs> dude. Is there anything else we can talk about? Possibly. <laughs> Welcome to the armor uh, butchery, and <laughs> we're just making. Vanita and I, and actually, I am grinding hot dogs. Poor Vanita is just along for the ride and watching the sausage come out of the the, the, the grinder and everything. No, 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 no. So, all right, well, we can wrap up because you know this has gone a lot longer than. And I forgive me, and I didn't mean for us to go on as long as we did. But I'll, again, I hope I'm not keeping you from anything. No, no, keeping you from the husband or anything. No, it's okay. I re- I reserved the evening Aww. for you. Um, Thanks, bud. So, Absolutely, yeah. I miss you on the road, pal. I hope I you're did. coming back to conventions. I, I am. I am. Now that I like, I that, you know, I had told you last time we talked is uh, what was keeping me away was, yeah, a lot of activities, and even in my own city, like the I like two years in a row, the same weekend is like the big thing that was going on here. I had I had to be out of town for, you know, my daughter's oh. stuff. It was crazy. So. um but yeah, uh, no, fully intend, intend to hit the Yay. circuit again. Well, I hope. Yeah, so possibly Chicago next spring, or you don't know. Right. I don't know. Yeah, no, that'd be a great place yeah. to start. Not too far. <laughs> Sounds yeah, good to me. Is that an invite? Absolutely. <laughs> no, honestly, I mean you you know how I feel and stuff, but yeah, when when especially when it was you, me, and Matt, you know, just exactly, oh just kind of like. <laughs> In a stupor after a, a day of stories and chasing people down and the usual stuff and everything. Uh-huh. And keeping each other exactly. calm, too. That's the other thing is that I feel like, I don't know, I think the last time I went to San Diego, I felt like so many of the people, I don't know, did you miss a San Diego? Early like, on. I've, I've been going solid know. since 2010, but in 08 and 09 were the two years I missed. 
that see, I think San Diego, the last San Diego I went to okay. was 09. I'm, I'm pretty sure you weren't there. Like nobody, none of my buddies, a few, maybe a couple. I hate to say that because somebody's going to go, Hey, I was there, but like none of my usual con buddies, sure. so to speak, were, were around. And I, I think we had a new, well, Matt was gone. So we had yep. new editor and they gave me so much to do. And you know how hard it is to get oh around God, that yeah. place. So they were like, be, go to this panel and then, you know, four o'clock and then at five o'clock, you'd be at this panel and six o'clock. Oh my gosh, I was going insane. And I said, yeah, I can't do this anymore. This is stupid. And I, I, I swore off San Diego for a while, but, and that kind of led to then so much was going on. I said, you know what? The convention thing, it's just too much. It's a lot of running around and I wasn't enjoying it as much. And I had so much, uh, con- so many other conflicts it was kind of a time when my in my daughter's lives when I kind of needed to be around yeah. them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Make sure that the parties weren't tearing apart my house. Well, yeah, and also supporting her and her activities <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and all that. No, absolutely. Yeah, and supporting her. So it all hit at the same time. I said, you know what? I'm going to take a couple of years uh, break from conventions. But yeah, it's been, it has been, I, I think it was. I don't think you were at the last San Diego. So it must have been 2009 was. was my last San Diego, which is crazy to think about. It's been that long, but. Uh, San Diego, I just, uh, yeah, just this well, is crazy. Well, and that's why I'll be interested. I can't do it. And there were so many other writers who wanted to go and wanted to cover things. That was the other thing is I thought, do I need sure. to be there? And that one I definitely didn't need to be there. But I'd like to go to WonderCon. I'd like to go to C2E2. Cool. I always love New York Comic Con. I don't know why. I just love New York. Because everybody's No, there. I'm with you. It's and, I, and you know, fun. as we're talking, we're only a few days away from it. And I, uh, I, 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 love, I love New York. I hate the Javits Center. This year, it's a shame that you missed it because they really had in the North Wing, Artist Alley was its own separate area. And it really was this oasis nice. from the rest of the con because after they merged the Anime Con and, and uh, C2E2, or rather uh, New York Comic Con, and made it one big thing, it's just too big for the Javits Center. And they are starting to do programming yeah. at uh, Madison Square Garden and at the Hammerstein Auditorium. Right. And and it yeah. you know that yeah, all makes yeah. sense, all but that. it also logistically, yeah, it's it's kind of h- tough running around. Um, they're redesigning the North Wing and doing construction work on it, so they're putting, I believe, Artist Alley in the basement. I'll know more when I'm there. But uh, I love New York. I love the energy of New York. I love that everyone is there, uh, especially the old guard living near New York as they needed to when you know they were working day to day for Marvel or DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's still a tough con. And also, I'll be interested after after having been gone as long as you have, what you think of the changes that have happened because it is it's a much more crowded uh, field. And certainly, you're aware, obviously, because of what you cover, how TV and movies mm-hmm. have have really kind of and even gaming uh, have have dominated you know mm-hmm. the, the conventions. And they aren't as much about comics as they used to be. They're still about comics, just not as much. And it's, you know, they have to share the spotlight with yeah. these other platforms and, and variations on, you know, the intellectual properties and stuff. But, yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting still. It is. But there it you is. go. Definitely. Well, my yeah. friend, I, I... Crazy. I thought of three more things I could say, but I'm done. <laughs> no, we're good. We're, we're good. Let's wrap up. I Seriously, thanks. It, great talking to you. I'm sorry that we don't live down the street from each other. It's really great uh, hearing your points of view again. And uh, let's not let uh, years go by before we do another one. No, that's I'm all in. All in. Give me a call anytime. Anytime. <laughs> Vanita Rogers. Continue to read her stuff at Newsarama. Uh, nobody uh, covers uh, her beat better. 
and uh, I'm really glad that uh, we were able to connect. It's been far too long, and I'm really happy that she was back on the show. And like I said, let's uh, hope that our next conversation is sooner than later. And certainly won't let years go by before our next conversation with Vanita. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon, help the cause, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or click on the ad, the Patreon ad that's on the front page of wordballoon.com. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Great books at great prices, books like... Low from Rick Remender and Greg Tocchini. Uh, this uh, collection that they've got right now, this is the Deluxe Hardcover Volume 1. Uh, amazing stuff. This collects the first 15 issues of Low. It's 50% off, $24.99. And uh, Rick and company always take special care and make those hardcovers really great purchases. You can also get from Marvel, uh, Ta-Nehisi uh, Coates and uh, Yona Harvey and Butch Geis and uh, Mark Chater. The creative team uh, behind uh, Black Panther and the crew. This collects uh, the first six issues of that series. Let's see, it's called We Are the Streets. 45% off, it's $9.89. Haven't given Valiant love in a while. How about Jeff Lemire's run on Bloodshot? Bloodshot Reborn, the deluxe edition hardcover, volume two, uh, features also great work from Doug Brathwaite and Miko uh, Suyan. I'm sorry if I'm saying her name right or, or his name wrong. Kano is in there, of course, Renato Guidis, and uh, Tomas Giorello. So again, Miko, I apologize if it's, I, I, I don't know your, your gender. My apologies. But uh, wonderful work on uh, Blood, Bloodshot. I haven't met him or her, but uh, it's, it's a great run. And uh, if you feel like uh, correcting me, by all means, do it. I really like what uh, Lemire has done with Bloodshot. And uh, it's really converted me into... Uh, a bit of a Valiant reader, something I've never bought, been uh, really in the, you know, even in the old Valiant years. So it's neat to, uh, you know, experience these characters, and I think it's a tremendous run. Uh, this volume two is 30% off. It's $34.99. Some of the great books that are available at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. Great books, great prices. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping from InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Um, we've got a new episode coming up in just a couple days. And uh, keep listening, because great uh, guests are on their way, uh, are penciled in. And I always like to say, I don't like to uh, guarantee somebody's going to be on until the interview actually happens. But uh, great Comics Histories interviews go, uh, coming up in the, in the days and weeks ahead. And uh, some old favorites are coming back as well. So uh, stick with us uh, for the rest of October and beyond here at Word Balloon. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017.